He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, July 30, 2022. Proud to be with you again. I know it's a great show because I recorded the interviews. It starts with Dr. Nedra Downing, who is the mother of Tom Holler. Spoke to her on July 27th, the date her son was shot dead right outside the King's Supers in Capitol Hill, Denver, Colorado. She is a smart woman. We honor Tom. We talk about crime. We talk about Denver, downtown Denver. And boy, does she have wisdom about life after going through that traumatic experience. And you will enjoy this segment. I did. It's uplifting. And then we move on to Representative Steve Woodrow. And it's uplifting as well because he's a smart guy who may be Denver mayor, Colorado governor, Right now, he's serving another term in the state house. He's essential to be elected. He's the Democrat nominee, but he's telling us all about his political views. What a follow he is on Twitter. What a great interview he is as our cleanup hitter. But we have our leadoff hitter, Troubadour Dave Gunders. And I always love your music, but this song, One Stop Shop. It's one of my new favorites, and I have a confession to make to you. Good, good evening. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Craig. Shabbat Shalom. All right, let me tell you what I love about this song. It makes me want to dance. That's a good thing. Well, it's kind of a good thing. I would like to know. I'd like to know if uh, if you have a ranking of songs of yours that make people dance. What gets people up the most? I mean, it's it's a, it's the it, it it's the final product. You never really know. I, I don't write a song with the idea of of it being a dance beat. In this particular song, One Stop Shop, it was uh it was the lick that I came up with first, and it is kind of a kind of a funky groove thing. You know? Right, it'll yeah. make you move. And what do you mean when I went to see you at uh, what's that called Lincoln's Lincoln's uh, Roadhouse? Lincoln's yeah, right Roadhouse. Mm-hmm. They were dancing onto the streets. It was so crowded with people dancing. Well, and I have a confession to make your song Zydeco. Yeah, that's a great dance song. And you know what happened when you played it? I didn't tell you this because I'm not that proud of it. It's a little embarrassing, but I got up and I asked a strange woman or two to dance. I didn't see you dancing. Did they turn you down? Exactly. Oh, that's that's so sad. I know they were well, about eighty years old too. Well, that's probably why they but- said we need to get a lot more liquored up. Before we dance with you. Well, that see, that was their invitation and that you buy them a drink. I think I'd spilled some of my barbecue sauce on my shirt, too. Anyway, your song, One Stop Shop, wants me, it, it makes me just want to move. And you made it available to me as my new law firm theme song. Thank you for that. I'd like you to come over, see my new digs in the heart of Greenwood Village, in the heart of the city. 
I'm really looking forward to seeing it, Craig. You mentioned it to me more than once. I knew when you were looking for a place, and uh, I just haven't made it by yet, but I'm excited to see it. It sounds really nice. Here's what I'm looking forward to, and I ran upstairs, as I'm prone to do, yelled to my family, it's happened. Donald Trump is going down. Oh, well, let's hear that. Now, wait a minute. You state that as a fact. Uh, I've done we, it a few times, we but thought, when yeah. you convene a grand jury... That's a and good you start. start getting people to testify under oath, and the walls are caving in on the Donald subpoena power and their research. You know, a, an attorney can say the most ridiculous things and try to get away with it, right? right. Like executive privilege. Well, no, that belongs to Joe Biden. So what are you talking about? And even if there was a privilege, there's a crime fraud exception, and it, if we litigate this, we win, not you. And now they're ready to litigate that. And they will win because we've seen this kind of thing before. So they're serious. They're assigning the troops. They've waited for public opinion to congeal around it. It's going to congeal even more every day with the lost records. Come on. People have common sense. And it's going to be so overwhelming right into the midterms and what we really need is a, a landslide voting maggot types out, don't you think? A, re, a reaction like after Watergate. You're a lot older than me. Remember how after Nixon well, got sure. embarrassed, I mean, the Republicans even, got voted out? Well, even the Republicans turned against yes. that, Yeah, that yes. was that was in the, I mean, they, they weren't uh, mobilized like the Republicans behind Trump. Not, nothing like that. Back then, the Republicans, in fact, they went into his office. I, I don't know who it was, Reagan maybe or someone, and basically told Nixon it was over. And that was that, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, we almost made a bike trip together, but as it turned out, my bike trip downtown to write my column and think about downtown is really something. But you have a lot of downtown Denver memories and thoughts right now. You get down there. What's your most memorable experiences downtown? Well, my good buddy T uh, and, and I had a duo and sometimes a trio. Uh, this is when we were first starting off in music, and uh, it was it was it was actually. I date myself. In the late seventies, um, we had a play, we had a steady gig at a restaurant, Italian restaurant on Larimer called Josephina's. I know it was there until maybe I don't know. It's been some time, but I think it's it's long gone now. Maybe a decade gone. I, I went down Larimer Square. I even rode my bike. You're not supposed to, but I ride really slow. There are a couple of ice cream shops. The market is gone. Nedra and I talk about the market. You know, she always stayed at the Oxford when she came to town. Because it's like you visiting your kids. They may suggest, hey, you should stay there. Tom Holler, the late Tom Holler, when he was alive, said, Mom, I have a buddy at the Oxford. And they treated uh, Tom's family like gold, even after he was gone. And they kept staying in the memories. And she loved to go to the market uh, before they went for a hike. Right. And she said, we would climb Mount Goliath. And I said, gosh, I've lived here my whole life, and I don't know where Mount Goliath is. And she said, it's on the way toward Mount Evans. It's about 10,000 feet. Have you heard about that? Maybe that's the one you pointed out the other day. I know, because I point out the foothills that maybe I can climb, Mr. Teton Climber, Long's Peak Climber. You've climbed everything we've looked at, but this seems more approachable. Anyway, you're about to hear the interview with Nedra. 
and it's really cool and full of, it's just fun thought. She's such a fascinating person. She's a doctor. She's smart as hell, and you will, I, I'm kind of obsessed with the Denver mayor's race because I think Steve Woodrow could win. I think Tom Holler, if he lived, he'd be 60 years old right now, and he could be the mayor of Denver. He was that kind of popular guy. Everybody loved him, and we care about Denver, even though I've moved away. I was trying to think of a restaurant. Josephine is, is a classic restaurant that was there and gone, but there are new parts of downtown. We have to take our wives west of Union Station on Weewada. My God, it's like being in New York. Where am I? It's it's skyscraper canyons and all these cool hotels, restaurants. I think downtown Denver will always come back, even on both ends. Eventually, I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, so I'm a little, you know, verklempt about it, but I keep going back. It's just a bike ride away, right? So, and what was your experience? I mean, I know when we talked about it and you told me what you wanted the theme to be, which was a, a letter to Denver, right? Yes, in, dear in, downtown Denver. Dear downtown Denver. When, what was, and then I wish I had gone, I was able to go with you on, what was it, Thursday you went. But um, what was your impression? I mean, has the pandemic brought a lot of uh, restaurants there to their, to, to their knees? Absolutely. But yeah. one has survived. It's called the Delectable Egg. And back when I first made District Court, it opened, 1983. I preceded it because we had other spots before it arrived, but 1983 is going back a bit. And I knew about their other location. They opened in 1982 because my brother and dad worked at 1601 Blake Street, and they are right there on Market and Lodo, and they're on Court Place in Denver. And it was open, and I know it's open till 2. I rode my bike there, and you could say, oh, what are you going to do with your bike downtown Denver? I have my little lock, and I locked it to a pole, and I took a window seat where I watched it, you know? So I wasn't scared, and really, it's kind of an overreaction, although theft is out there, and I, I'd written down 16th Street by my old skyscraper, homeless, encampment, sad. But the delectable egg always delivers, and a great waitress named Desra. And Armando was there, and we got to talk, and he's been there since 1983. He's the busboy, and the manager recognized me as a regular. She's managed Lodo and Court Place for the last 15 years, and I've been there a lot before her, and I was telling her about her. And and I said, how do you do it? She says, you got to fight for it. Right. And you got to treat your employees right. And she said, Denver is coming back, and her name is... Amy B. Hill Manzanares, and she's the general manager, and I'm going to write about her. So thanks for asking. And the sausage and cheese omelet with burnt potatoes and sourdough toast, perfect Tabasco. I had a great day. <laughs> I got the light rail. And honestly, I was at the Bellevue station 25 minutes later after catching it. Yep. West of Union Station. And I still love downtown Denver. And I was thinking, can I still say I'm a Denver lawyer? Absolutely, of course. You'll always be a Denver lawyer. Yeah. What you're down in? You're down in. I DC, don't live in DTC. Denver. I know to work in Denver. Right. Well, people don't care about that. Well, here's what no. I do. I own a tiny percentage of an office building in downtown Denver. I'm still a Denverite. 
okay, if I own a little property there. If that's what you need, Chris. That's what I oh, need. Right. All right, let's talk about some other things like your incredible song. Gosh, I love it. It's a seduction song. Everything with you is man and woman trying to get in her. Am I right? In her shop. In her shop. In your well, shop. Now, this wasn't so much about that as uh, it, it is a bit of a metaphor because it starts off. There's a guy and he 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 gets a, an old kind of a vacant you know loft kind of place in, in the heart in, of the city. in the heart of the city, and he's fixing it up. It's like to me, I think it was a metaphor of of his heart that had been. That had been that needed some re- reconstruction, and uh, he he fixes it up in the hopes that someone will come by in his life. It's got a great start musically. It's rollicking. Is that something to think about? I'm going to rollick as I start this song. No, I don't think about that. No, the rollicking just kind of it. It came. I mean, that's usually a song has you know an inception, which for me oftentimes is the melody, and in this case, the, the lick that goes throughout the song, the guitar lick. Now, you had no way of knowing this, nor did I. What do you think Nedra Downing said when I asked her, your son, Tom Holler? What do you think he would have achieved? What was he really passionate about? Oh, well, since you're asking on this subject, I would say she might have said he wanted to be a musician. Is that right? No. Okay. He wanted to be an artist, though. And his thing was neon. And then what are the odds that you would pick out a song to give me this week with the word neon in it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He makes a neon sign. It's flashing in the window. It's it's like a it's like a the um, lightning bugs, you know, that they they glow and and uh, they attract a mate. Right. And yeah. that word neon is, of course, in the classic song about downtown Petula Clark. Don't you think that's one of the most impactful songs of all time. I, I just do because, do you know well, what year that came out? I would guess uh, 66. 64. Oh, wow. Okay. Or kind of around the Beatles time. It yeah. was the British invasion, but it was a whole, I mean, it wasn't the Beatles, but it was different than anything we'd really ever heard before in a way, wasn't it? Right. It was It was, It was. was a cute song. I mean, it was, you know, when, I, when you sent it to me, I listened and it was, you know, I felt some nostalgia. She, Pet Clark was cute, and it was, and the song was cute. No, but it was a concept about human yearning. It's somebody who wanted to experience life where all the lights were bright, right. somewhere you could go and never be lonely. See, you you see in, in more into it than I than I and think I ever did. And how about that rhyming? You know, rhyming the word bossa nova with before the night is over. <laughs> over. Over, right. How can you lose? Right. The oh, lights it, are much brighter. <laughs> you know, you can't play songs for that. Anyway. Right. It's a feel-good song. No I doubt. just think it influenced me because I could understand the words. It's the Beatles, you know, I don't know, I want to hold your hand. That wasn't exactly all that thought-provoking. No. Although that's the way it starts with the handhold, right? Right. That's the way it starts. Yes. It was, it was innocent. seductive guy. You're telling somebody... What do you mean? How did you choose turn to the left? Because that's kind of been my journey politically. Turn to the left? Is that just a rhyming device in your song? Uh, I like the idea of turning to the left rather than the right. I, think, I know. I think for my, myself, I always tend to turn to the I'm a lefty, see? And you know what I love? Because it's my law practice. It's not the corporation. I don't represent them. It's a one-on-one thing. 
And it's a leap of faith, just like when somebody hires you to do a renovation of their house, right? It's Very much, yeah. And you say, I'm counting on you to be mm-hmm. counting on me. Right. What a line in your song. Do you realize what a wordsmith you are? No. You're an artist. You're no, something else. I wouldn't else. go that far. <laughs> the other Thank thing you. I love about this song, well, great backup singer. Who is it? Do you remember? I think Sarah. Is it Sarah? Yes. Oh. It's Sarah, my daughter, who, who sings um, in the, in the, um, the uh, I guess it's the bridge part of yes. the song. Yeah. It's a great song. Let's let everybody hear it. I love your confidence in the song. Is that what it takes to pick up somebody or to attract someone? Confidence? Uh, you might know better than me. No. You've done very well. You're the well. guy with the swagger and the rollicking start. Everybody enjoy One Stop Shop by Dave Gunders, our troubadour, and enjoy the rest of this great show. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. And if you see my eyes shining, know that
It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, I have some exciting news. I am starting my brand new law firm. It's attitude, mine. The legal skills, mine. The support staff, incredible. Find us online soon at CraigsColoradoLaw.com. Find me right now on Twitter at CraigsColorado. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Hi, Craig. Hey, Nedra. Thanks a lot for doing my podcast again. Oh, well, it's good to talk to you again. It's been a long time. I know. We were good we were good friends back uh, 30 years ago, I guess, when almost, my son Tom. Yeah, almost was, 30. I, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm honored that you would talk to me July 27th, the date that brought our lives together, the sad date when your son Tom Holler was killed in Capitol Hill, right above downtown Denver, and he grew up with you I, in Michigan, and... We miss him this day, but we're we're gonna talk about celebrating his life because what a what a cool guy he was. Yes, Tom was somebody who was funny, and people liked him. He had a way of joking about things that were true without hurting people's feelings, uh, and that is he's, he probably would still be funny. Today, he would be 60 years old. Oh my. Hard to imagine. He's forever young. What was he then? He, he would have been 31 when he got shot he dead. Was, he was 30. 30. Um, and he had been married to Christina about one year. They were celebrating their first wedding anniversary. Uh, at the time, he was murdered at 9th and Corona across from King Supers in the parking lot. They had gone to a Rockies Cardinals game. The Rockies won, I think, 5-3, to three, and then they went to a fashion show at Rock Island because Tom was successful in business. And my gosh, at age 60, he'd be at his zenith. I'm sure you've thought about that, Nedra. What do you think Tom would be doing today? Well, Tom had a successful business um, called Emmy Jimmy back then, and he became interested in neon. He was very creative. He 
did watercolors and, and made a lot of pottery, which we still have. But he became interested in creating neon signs. And I think that's what he would have done. Uh, I think some of the neon signs he made uh, might still be around, although it's a long time, and I guess they wear out. But um, he did one in Castle Rock, I remember. Uh, and he took us down to look at it when we visited in Denver. Now, Tom's dad, your former husband, Ed Holler, right? He was a doctor. You are a doctor. Did Tom ever think about being a doctor? We always expected that he would pursue a professional career. At the time, Tom was murdered. His father was a dentist and I was a pharmacist. And we thought, well, Tom will graduate from college and he will pursue some professional degree. College was not for him. He had... Uh, yeah, college was not for him, but he, he made a success of business. How did he do that? With good uh, DNA? Well, Tom was creative. And in our large backyard in Flushing, Michigan, where he grew up, we always had boys, friends coming over uh, because Tom always had a project. And one of the projects was building a skateboard ramp in our backyard. And it was really a big full-size skateboard ramp made out of plywood with a wooden scaffolding underneath. So uh, Tom became interested in skateboarding. And when he went to Denver, he started out repairing skateboards. And uh, people from all over Denver would bring their skateboards to him. And uh, at first he just... Uh, fixed them. He carried the parts in his pockets, wrenches and bolts and whatever it took. But pretty soon they started coming and uh, he was on 13th Avenue uh, and uh, there was a store that was vacant and the owner was willing to rent it to him for some very low amount of rent, like $50 every three months or something. So Tom set up shop repairing skateboards on 13th Avenue. And pretty soon he was selling skateboards. And uh, that started it. And then he started selling caps and T-shirts and things like that. And pretty soon he had a successful clothing store. And uh, I don't think I, I ever realized both. it started as a skate shop. But I do, did know this. And it doesn't surprise me that he was the life of the party in your backyard in Michigan, because I heard from so many people who said Tom Holler was my close friend. As the prosecutor, they want to get you involved, but I, I wanted to meet the parents, and I met you, and then, of course, Christina, who survived and is now thriving. God bless you, Christina, your beautiful daughter-in-law, Nedra. Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm so... Go ahead. I'm so... So glad that on his last day, he had a wonderful time the entire day. He went to a Rockies game mm -hmm. with his old friend, Pete. Uh, and uh, then he went dancing with Christina at Rock Island mm -hmm. on 15th Avenue, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
then they were returning to their apartment uh, at 9th and Corona, the Shanna Marie, Andy Holman was the landlord, and he named the apartment after his daughter, Shanna. Anyhow, that's where they were. They were arriving home just after midnight, and uh, the, the two Crips gang members who were setting out looking for trouble uh, and a gang initiation uh, in the Crips gang involves murdering somebody and raping. And when they saw Tom and Christy, well, they had been wandering around looking for a car or mm-hmm. somebody to be victims. And Tom and Christina pulled up just at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Oh, they Just were in the as they lot. sauntered across the King Supers parking lot, the Capitol Hill King Supers, keep going. Yes, uh, Tom and Christina pulled pulled up in the parking lot next to their apartment just after midnight when Steve Harrington and Shane Davis were walking through the parking lot looking for victims, and. Um, Tom didn't think anything of it because there were people in the parking lot all the time. And he had had a good time. Uh, he had had a, a good day, and he was tired. And uh, he and Christina just wanted to uh, end their day. And uh, They were tired, and they had to work the next day. And they were talking about what they were going to do at Emmy Jimmy. And uh, that and when uh, Steve Harrington grabbed Tom and shot him. And it was a thirty eight Smith Wesson pistol, I think. Or I don't know what you call it, but anyhow it was close range and he got him just below the heart on the left side. And I actually saw the wound because uh, I was a doctor at that time. I had gone back to school after being a pharmacist and got a medical degree. But anyhow, I saw the wound, and it was about the size of a quarter. It was awful. And in gang style, um, Tom was shot, and he staggered across the parking lot toward his apartment and fell to the ground. He was lying on the ground. And in gang fashion, Steve Harrington walked over and stood over him and intended to shoot him in the head, but he missed, and he got him in the shoulder. And it went down through Tom's lung. And Tom was gurgling and gasping and dying on the sidewalk. And one of the other apartment dwellers, uh, Chris Bear, uh, who was a friend of Tom's, saw what was happening. He's a friend of mine now. Keep going. Yeah. Chris uh, stood on the porch of his apartment. He saw Tom lying on the sidewalk. And he was afraid at first because he didn't want to get shot. And uh, so he went down, and he was holding Tom's head when he died. And I will always feel that Chris Bear is special because he was with my son when he died. And uh, Chris said to Tom, hang on, old buddy, help is coming. And uh, about this time, uh, the gang members, Steve Harrington and his pal, Shane Davis, uh, were carjacking. They wanted Tom's car, and they wanted Christina, and they wanted his money. 
so uh, they they asked Tom for his keys, and the keys were still in his hands. And he Tom threw them on the pavement, and they said, "We're taking her." And he said, "No way, you're not taking her." And they shot him. Uh, but then the two gang members took the car. Well, uh, they beat Christina first. She was she had gotten out of the car, uh, and she heard the shot that killed Tom. And uh, while Steve Harrington was doing the shooting, Shane Davis was beating Christina. She was a tiny little thing, beautiful girl. I think she wore a size five, uh, and she used to wear postage stamp mini skirts, and uh, she was just a beautiful girl. So Shane Davis was beating Christina, and he shoved her into the back seat of the Honda that was Tom's uh, very nice black car. And uh, they got in the car after they had shot Tom with Christina in the back seat, and they roared down Corona, uh, and... uh, they ended up in an alley in Park Hill. By the way, this, uh, these two individuals, Harrington and Davis, they got convicted. They're doing life plus 200 years. But poor Christina was found battered, near dead, naked in the backseat of that Honda by two amazing Denver cops, uh, Vince Lombardi and uh, what's his name? Dennis Hartvigson? Hartvigson, yes. yes. They were oh, looking yes. for Tom's vehicle, and they found it in an alley in Park Hill. And the circumstantial uh, evidence, it didn't come together for a while. I mean, when you got to town, no, it, you flew in, it, I'm it sure. It was a miracle that they, uh, Scott Hartvigson and... Uh, Scott Hartvigson. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, Vince Lombardi. Uh, they were cruising uh, in the north side of Denver, Mm-hmm. suspecting that maybe the murderers were there because it was out on all the police radios. And they just happened to notice a gleam in the alley, one of the alleys uh, in that part of the city. And uh, they turned in and they found the car and pulled Christina out and she had been horribly beaten her zygomatic arch under her eye, the bone that is your cheekbone that supports your eye, it had been broken. And one of her eyes was drooping down. It was terrible. It's a miracle that she actually survived. And uh, it was her mother, Gloria, who uh, saw to it that Christina got the best of medical and dental care. They knocked out her teeth and uh, her eye was repaired so that she has vision, and it's just a miracle that... Do you remember who her eye doctor was? Her plastic surgeon, I mean, that restored her beauty. And gosh, Christine is beautiful. But this doctor, I wonder if I know a name that you don't, even a doctor. I, I don't I don't know his e- name. E.O. Wiggs, W-I-G-G-S, and he had repaired another victim in a case of mine, Gus Polidor, who had his occipital bone bashed in, and he's just a beautiful, 
plastic surgeon when it comes to making your face look good as new or better. I just want to salute him. Keep going, Nedra. Um, anyhow, Christina, And he was a great witness, too, so I like that as well. Keep going. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, <clears throat> Christina moved on, uh, and she has had a good life. Her older child is entering college this fall, and I would like to think that that could have been Tom's child. Of course, it is. They in were way. looking it for is. houses. They were going to buy a house mm. and start a family. Oh, yeah. At the time, he was murdered. Yes, and the Christina's blessed with a beautiful new husband and two daughters, and uh, gosh, it's just amazing, her recovery. And she had a lot of friends, too. And Tom and Christina were the it couple. Anybody who met them knew this couple's going to go far in Denver, Colorado. And I feel bad for people like you because I grew up in Denver. My heart is here. I assume your heart is in Michigan. And I feel bad that such a bad thing happened in my city to your precious yes. son. How, how yes. should I feel about that? Well, I think Denver has changed. I think it was such an attractive city that a lot of people have moved there, and probably from Los Angeles. Uh, anyhow, when we were there the last time, Denver had become crowded. There were lots of cars, lots of people, and it wasn't the same for us. Uh, we had our little routine where we... Uh, like to go back to the place where Tom bled to death on the sidewalk at 9th and Corona, because that place will always be special for me. And it's, we like uh, to light it's candles. It's every July 27, and I'm going to go there in your honor today, because I have to oh. go by King Supers anyway, so don't give me too much credit. But I, <laughs> I and, and you know where the Shanna Marie, uh, it's parking lot where Tom had another vehicle or hers he kept. Everybody talked about that. He was such a character. And the bottom line is that uh, the Shanna Marie, I don't think it's identified that way anymore. But you and I will know that forever. And your son is, is kind of frozen in time. Have you thought about the fact that he never really experienced the Internet? You kind of handle it well. We... I see you on social media. Do you think Tom would have been good at it, or would he have said, nah, not oh. interested? I think Tom would have been a whiz. Uh, Tom liked mechanical things. He liked wheels. He liked cars. He liked to tinker with cars. His grandfather was a car dealer and um, a good mechanic, and so was Tom. Tom built sculptures out of bicycle parts and uh, very creative things. Uh, so he would have been a whiz at internet and um, social media. And I think he would have been a leader, don't you? And you talked about his diplomatic skills, his ability to bring all sorts of people together. And yes, he oh, it just let your mind run ahead. If Tom fulfilled every potential what could he be doing right now? Well, as I said, um, he was interested in neon, and I like to think that he would have made a successful career creating fantastic 
colorful, creative neon signs all over Denver. Uh, I think he would have done that because clearly he wasn't cut out to go to college and pursue a professional right, degree. Right, but I think he would have had a neon phase, but then I think he would have had other phases, as we do, as you did. Pharmacists, this and that. We're going to get to you, but before we leave this subject, Denver. I just left downtown Denver as my work neighborhood after four decades, Nedra, and it's not the same. We just talked about Rock Island. I had a best friend who lived right there near Rock Island, and I've been to Rock Island. I've been everywhere in downtown, and the crime scenes are enormous. This crime happened just above downtown, but I know that as you came every year, you like to stay at the Oxford Hotel, and you don't get more downtown Denver than that. And one thing I loved about you is that you didn't seem to hold it against Denver back in the day. I mean, we're all watching our country change, and we can get to that maybe. But I'm just interested in downtown Denver because your stays at the oh, Oxford. Yes. What do you remember about that? And tell us why you loved it before you tell us why it's gone downhill. We like uh, downtown Denver. One of Tom's friends was Charles Calloway. And he was uh, involved with the Oxford Hotel. I don't know if he was a manager or exactly what. But uh, when I first went to Denver to visit Tom, it was about 1985. And Tom told us to stay at the Oxford. So we did. And we always walked down to Larimer to have morning coffee and breakfast at Market on Larimer. Oh, boy. The last time Larimer we were in Denver. Square. yes. Market was gone. Yes, the market closed up after so many decades there. Yes, it was. uh, You could get any kind of food in that place, couldn't you? Oh, we we loved to go there. And I remember meeting Carol Malaysia uh, for coffee at the market. And so many times we were there. And we picked up a picnic lunch to take with us when we went hiking. Uh, at Mount Goliath, uh, and we did that every time we went to Denver. Now, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I'm a native Denverite. I'm going to look it up. On the way way to Mount Evans, uh, it's about 10,000 feet, something like that. I could do that. We always picked up lunch at the market to take on our picnics uh, when we hiked on Mount Goliath. But the last time we were in Denver, we found delightful new restaurants all over around Union Station. Mm. And um, it was delightful because it was hot, as as it usually is in Denver, hot and sunny and dry. And there were children and dogs running through the water spouts in front of Union Station. And it was just delightful to sit outside at one of the restaurants and watch the children and the dogs in the hot Denver day running through the water and having a great time. So Denver still has a lot of good things going for it. And uh, on and Nedra, I don't know how to break the news, but Union Station is hurting because of crime, because of homelessness. And a lot of people, and I loved it too. It was tremendous. And now... 
downtown Denver just isn't what it used to be. Did you notice that? Is that why you stopped coming? Uh, it, it just was crowded uh, with cars and people, and Margaret was gone. Mm-hmm. And the last time we uh, went to the spot where we always had a candle vigil at 9th and Corona, uh, a stranger was there with his phone, and uh, he was carrying on. He said he was going to call his mother to tell his mother that he was dying, and it it was just awful. It wasn't friendly anymore and welcoming, and we couldn't do our little thing, and so we left, and uh, I don't know if we'll come back anytime soon, but we might. Next year uh, is uh, the 30th. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Tom is buried where? Tom is buried at Fairmount Cemetery. And uh, it was a beautiful place, a beautiful plot. So we will come back every so often and visit the place at 9th and Corona across from King Supers where he died on the sidewalk. And we will go to the cemetery just because mothers do that. Mothers like to do that. My gosh, Paramount! I grew I grew up at a stone's throw from Paramount. I'm gonna ride my bike through Paramount and think about Tom now too. So, oh, good! I'll think about that. That will be nice. My grandparents are buried there on my mother's side. Yes, oh. right along Quebec, the Santé. Yes, yes. And I think that's where Trish and I are going to go. We're still debating. Anyway. Such things to think about. You know, he had a wonderful mama, you. And tell everybody your accomplishments because you are kind of a life coach and you've hacked the human body. Give me some tips because I'm trying to keep my weight down. You always used to kind of (laughs) give me advice. What's the latest? I have a question. I have a question for you. Do you like broccoli? Yes, love it. Oh. Trish can season it perfectly. You like broccoli? Yes. Because years ago when I was, uh, well, I have a master's degree in human nutrition, and I opened my medical office thinking that we should pay attention to the natural body and uh, the biochemistry of the body and the physiology of the body, and we shouldn't use drugs when a nutrient deficiency like zinc or selenium was causing the problem. We should use, we should treat the problem with natural means, and if a person needed selenium, they should get selenium and not a prescription drug. And way back then, I was working a lot with diet and nutrition, and you absolutely would not eat broccoli. You said it was something, it had that funny little frizzy edge. Oh, is that what I said back then? Gosh. Yes, you did. Yeah, I have food phobias. Yeah, but you know, since I got married, you knew me before I was married, and I'm eating a lot of different things. I still won't eat pickles or mustard, but this isn't about me. (laughs) I do eat better, but you know what? I am, uh, anyway, I, I, I want to ask you this, because I don't even remember that I didn't eat broccoli, but I'll take your word for it, because it fits my character and my food phobias, 
But what was I like back then, since I really can't remember? When you first met me, what did you think? Where was it? Uh, How did we meet? Do you remember? Well, I think we met at the courthouse uh, when uh, we were all there, a whole, I don't remember, a bunch of us, uh, Christina and uh, uh, Tom's sisters, Laura and Margaret, and uh, Gloria and Al. Uh, We were all there in the courthouse, I think, when we met. And um, I do want to say that uh, the trial in 1994 lasted one month, uh, a very long, difficult trial. And you were there every day, 30 days at the trial, perfectly prepared, uh, knowing all the details of the case. Uh, You didn't use notes and you were a presence in the courtroom. Everyone listened and paid attention. And uh, you were very convincing to the jury. And uh, I was so glad that you were there to prosecute the case, but you would work equally hard uh, for uh, the defense for someone who was the victim. Uh, You always did your homework. Uh, You came to the courtroom prepared. The judges respected you. The jury listened to you. And uh, every day we could see you weaving the case to convict Shane Davis and Steve Harrington. And I think that you are a good enough attorney that had you been on the defense, you could have gotten those two murderers off. They they would be running free today had you been on the other side. But you were on our side. You were the prosecutor. And I'm always grateful for that. And Carol Malaysia was a wonderful help. She was the victim's assistant, and she was there uh, for us every day. And it was hard work for her. Uh, and she helped us find a place to eat. We ate at the Denver Art Institute sometimes. Uh, for lunch during the trial. I think we had a maybe an hour to eat. I don't remember. But we had to find restaurants. And uh, Carol was always there helping us and uh, yes. counseling and, us. And, and, oh, my gosh, you're giving me chills. And thank you for all the nice things you said. But the trial took place on the fourth floor of, of my favorite building in the world. I'm getting choked up. The city and county building. I just love that because I'm a native Denverite. My grandpa was a Denver lawyer, my dad. And I just think it's a neoclassical beauty. And the courtrooms were big and you could wave your arms if you wanted to. I don't do that a lot. But um, that building. Where is your new office? I'm in the Denver Tech Center. Yeah, I've moved out of downtown Denver. I'm in uh, Greenwood Village. After oh. all these years. So I'm, I'm really thinking about that. But I, I, I want to tell you what a bad eater I am and why I probably weighed about 35 pounds more during that trial. But I was pretty fit. And I filled up some big suits. And my shoulders were bigger. And I eat different now because I would go to the police building where they had a grill. And I would get two double cheeseburgers. Seriously, two double cheeseburgers Ooh. and french fries 
just so I wouldn't be hungry all afternoon. Because if you're as big as I was, I don't want my stomach grumbling for more food about 4 o'clock. And you might think it would make me sleepy, but I was on adrenaline during that trial. It was a big deal. It was on court TV, too. It was being televised live around the nation, but I ate that bad. Isn't it amazing I'm still alive? <laughs> oh, well, you had good genes, uh, probably protecting you from eating like that. And you met my uh, parents. They're gone, but uh, everybody got to know you because you were nice enough to say, hey, Craig, you should be the DA, and I'm going to back you, and... We had a press conference at the Oxford Hotel where you spoke because, my gosh, people can listen to you now, and you're brilliant. You were, you were a presence then. You, you came to Denver, and you were not shy about talking about your feelings. Why did you do that? Why did you get political with a guy like me? Uh, you know, I actually don't remember all the details, but... Remember um, I ran for Denver DA against Bill Ritter? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I remember that. And I guess uh, I felt that you would have done a good job. I mean, you're, you do your homework, you're prepared, you know the law, and... Uh, That's you... enough about me. You're so nice. Let's talk about you, because how have you succeeded, and are you still working to this day? Uh I retired, and Howard and I have had a good life. We've traveled all over. Um, we recently came back from uh, a week with a family at Paws Up in Montana. It's a resort, uh, a really nice place where we had a good time. They went river rafting and kayaking and horseback riding, and uh, they took a helicopter over Glacier National Park, and we're considering going back to Montana for another vacation next year. But Howard and I have traveled to Turkey uh, two or three times, to Italy three times, uh, Croatia, uh, the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, Switzerland. Uh, so we've had a, a good life, done a lot of traveling, not much now anymore. I don't really want to go back to Europe necessarily. Uh, I might, but right now I'm saying no. We're, we're no, Montana is where you should go. And that's where my oldest is. And let's just leave the podcast that way because you are once again giving me chills. Because when I met you, I was single, right? And uh, I, I didn't have any kids, of course. But now my oldest lives in Montana, and when I go to Missoula to see him, he tells me where to stay, kind of like Tom did, and he knows a lot of people, and he almost worked at Paws Up, so I know a little oh. about this place. And I'm just thinking, my God, if anything ever happened to my beautiful oldest son, I don't know. I mean, you've lived on. You've moved on. What else can you do? But on this day of remembrance... I mean, it's got to be the inflection point in your life or just one of several? Well, it's been a good life, and the acute grief of losing Tom lasted uh, a normal amount of time, which uh, could be as long as a year or two. But now it's missing him and wondering what he would be like uh, 
now that he would be 60. Uh, I know he'd be funny. And um, Can I tell so, you what I envisioned? Seriously, I think he could have been mayor of Denver. And the, the job is coming open, and he would be the front runner. And I think he would do a good job because he's got the right amount of compassion and discipline and a head for good business. How about that idea, Mama? Oh, well, hard hard to think of him uh, being that disciplined. But didn't uh, he get along with all sorts of people? Oh, he did. He made friends with everybody. And uh, they were drawn to Tom because... He was non-judgmental. He accepted everybody. And uh, after the trial, uh, when uh, there were convictions on eight counts for each of the uh, Crips gang members, uh, we all went to McCormick's Bar to celebrate. We were sitting around a big round table, uh, Chris Bearer and Eric Bearer and... uh, Christina and her brothers, the Schneiders. Uh, anyhow, great big table. And all of a sudden, I had to leave because I thought, gee, it isn't really a celebration. It's very sad. My son is still dead, and two young men who had the potential to have a, a good life are put away for life without chance of parole in Canyon City. Because uh, I think both Steve Harrington and Shane Davis could have had successful lives without being criminals, without being gang members. Uh, so it was very sad. So I left the celebration at McCormick's Bar, and I went up to our room on the fifth floor of the Oxford, and pretty soon here came Christina. And she and I sat there, and we were talking, and remembering, and the Oxford had sent us a bottle of champagne uh, to celebrate. So Christina and I popped the cork on the champagne, and we sat there drinking champagne and remembering Tom and the trial and everything that we had all been through. So that was a poignant moment that I will never forget. I'll never forget the way you just ended this podcast. I never heard that story before. God bless you, oh. Dr. Nedra. I mean, you are you you are Tom Holler's mother, and that's a high compliment, don't you think? Well, I'm proud of who he became. I was worried for a while. That's like my mother. They'd say, are you Craig's mother? And she would say, why? <laughs> yes. So Tom was like that, and he had a little mischief to him? Yes, he always did. He always got into trouble with his best friend, Mitz Lee, and he had a lot of friends in our neighborhood. Uh, was it fair boys. to say he was full of fun, right? He was just a fun guy exactly. to be around. He was, if he was in an office, everybody would congregate around him. I've seen this type, and I know just because so many people have said, I was Tom Holler's friend. I'm thinking around Denver, how many friends could this guy have? But he did. Yes, he did. Nedra, you are my friend. Thank you very much for doing this podcast. Well, it's nice to talk to you again, Craig. And I had forgotten about some of these things. So it's good to remember. And I'm glad you're going to 
visit those places today. Well, the bike ride, I don't know, this weekend I will. I'm going to, the podcast will air this weekend, and I'm going to remember Tom this whole weekend, starting today, the 27th, through the end of July, okay? That's when you used to come to Denver, and I miss you. I hope you come back, and I hope Denver gets better. I don't think either of us takes any joy in the fact that downtown is deteriorating. It's sad, but let's leave on a happy note. it's crowded. I don't think it's necessarily deteriorating. I think it's just crowded. Right. But it's I, got I a lot know. of issues. It's it's got a lot of issues, but the Oxford's still there. McCormick's is gone, but maybe next year at the Oxford, okay? Yeah, maybe. And maybe I'll see okay. you in Montana. All right? Yes. Nice talking to you, Craig. All right. Bye, Nedra. Bye bye. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Now, this guy is a regular guest because he starred season one, episode 37. Then he came on season two, episode 60. Now he's on episode 107, and he keeps growing and getting more popular. He is a state legislator. I think he's going to maybe be mayor of Denver someday, possibly governor of Colorado. Steve Woodrow, how are you? (laughs) That's quite an intro, man. It's nice to be back. Um, You flatter me, but it's it's nice to to come back to the lawyer's lounge and, and have a chat. How have you been? I have been making a lot of moves. It's kind of uh, stirring me up in a good way. I am leaving Denver as my workplace for the first time in my long career. And uh, I'm opening up my one-stop shop in Greenwood Village, and I am going to recommend my clients go see other lawyers when I can't handle things, which is a lot of the time. And they should know that Woodrow and Peluso is just exactly the kind of firm I like, one that doesn't compete with me, because you guys do 
brainiacs got complex litigation, suing banks and whatnot. Isn't that right? Yeah, lately we've uh, focused a lot on suing banks, financial institutions, telemarketers, debt collectors, and large landlords, especially uh, the large abusive ones, unfortunately, here in Colorado. Uh, we've had a lot of run-ins with them lately. But it's uh, contingent practice, um, complex work, and uh, it's always fighting David and Goliath. We're always representing the little guy against you know, some you know, large corporation that needs to be held to account. I love that kind of thing. And again, in my one-stop shop, and of course, there are no referral fees in Colorado. I just want the best for my clients. And I've been doing this for four decades. My brother before me, my dad before me, his dad before me, all in Denver. I have some experience. So I'm sure it's just like you. When you don't know something, you say, but you know what? Here's a good guy to call. So I think highly of you, and I want your opinion about Bitcoin, because I noticed you went after a guy named Kaplis. Is that right, Mark Kaplis, or is it pronounced Carpellis? Uh, we always said Carpellis. First, let me congratulate you on your move. That you know, I know it's hard to leave Denver after all these years, um, but it is exciting you know, to, to start up your own shop. Um, I've always said that's one of the best parts about having a law license and being an attorney is the entrepreneurial side. You know, there's a handful of professions, I think, that, that lend themselves to this. It's like us, it's dentists and, and a couple others. And so just mazel tov to you on that. Um, and, and I'll keep you in mind for referrals as well. In, in terms of Bitcoin, oh, goodness. Um, in 20, what year was that? Was that 2014? It was Something before like I, I started losing money on Bitcoin. My God, thank God. That's why I have to keep working yeah. until I'm 90 years old because Bitcoin. No, I did not go in that far or that late. But do you do you right. dabble so in it? Is, it? is it a con game or is it the real deal? Um, I mean, it's an alternative currency. It's a, it depends on the growth and uh, reliability of the network and whether enough people buy into it. Um, but it's one of those quote-unquote assets that's only worth what someone else will pay. Um, it does lend itself to abuse. All these NFTs and you know Bitcoin uh, sort of lend themselves to money laundering. So we got to be really careful about that. In terms of you know my specific involvement with Bitcoin, it's quite an incredible story. In 2014, a guy named Mark Karpelis, uh took over a website called Mount Gox. Um, at the time, how do you Mount spell Gox, that? M-T-G-O-X. M-T-G-O-X. Yeah, M-T-G-O-X. Yeah, it actually stood for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. There's a kind of a nerdy uh, game, sorry for any of your listeners who are really into Magic the Gathering, but there's kind of this, you know, uh, quirky, nerdy game um, that people play called Magic the Gathering. It's, it's a card game. And this was an online exchange where people could trade these cards. Mark Karpolis buys the exchange and essentially over a weekend or so re-engineers and restructures it to become a Bitcoin exchange. So instead of passing Magic the Gathering cards back and forth, people are going to be exchanging Bitcoin for money. Um, and before he really knew what he had um, created, uh, you know, he looked in the accounts and tens of thousands and then ultimately hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars and uh, hundreds of thousands and millions of Bitcoins were being uh, traded 
uh, on his on his platform. Um, and then what ended up happening, believe it or not, if you believe him, uh, he lost the keys to oh. four hundred thousand Bitcoin. Oh, okay. Now, time, K- like 400, yeah. How much? At the time, that was something like four hundred seventy million dollars, right? We kept contending it was billions. I mean, today it's obviously. I mean, you do the math, and you represented You represented some poor saps who had invested into his uh, magic the gathering, but they had stored well, their so, goods. They had stored their Bitcoin there. Yeah, so we represented at uh, my former law firm, and uh, they're still pursuing the the litigation. We uh, were essentially pursuing Mr. Karpolis and Mount Gox uh, and Mizuho Bank, uh, who was financing the or facilitating the transactions. They needed a financial institution to back it um, out of Japan, and we had filed the lawsuit in Chicago in federal court. Mount Gox had uh, declared bankruptcy in Japan. They filed a recognition of a foreign bankruptcy in Dallas, Texas, at the Chapter 15. And so there was a day where uh, I was—I had filed a TRO and a preliminary injunction to uh, freeze any of Mark Karpolis's or Mount Gox's U.S. assets, uh, any servers hosting any Bitcoin, any. Uh, Bitcoin mining operations that they might have that, you know, touch upon, you know, within the U.S. jurisdiction to freeze their assets um, and to get discovery. And when I landed in Chicago for the hearing, because I was living here at the time, um, when I landed in Chicago for the hearing, I got a phone call that Mt. Gox had filed this Chapter 15 bankruptcy and that there was going to be a telephonic hearing with the bankruptcy court in 15 minutes that I had to do by cell phone. And I basically had to convince the bankruptcy judge not to issue an automatic stay so I could proceed with my TRO and preliminary injunction hearing in Chicago. One of my craziest days as a lawyer um, ended up getting a judge to compel Mr. Carpellis's attendance in the United States for a deposition. That was really awesome. Um, But what I can tell you about Bitcoin is it's incredibly volatile. No, no, I, 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 I like that. Hey, Steve, <laughs> Steve, if I could, just to back up, because you, you hit the key part for me as a lawyer, is that you had a super rich guy who was apparently a bit of a con man, or an alleged con man. I don't know if you'd go that far. But you wanted to take his deposition, and he didn't want to give it. And he declared bankruptcy. And it reminds me of another rich guy who likes to declare bankruptcy and never show up under service of process. And as a lawyer, I've depended on service of process. And I just got the feeling from the story you told that there was a lot of work involved on your part compelling his attendance at a deposition through a court order. Isn't that the most fundamental part of our rule of law? If you don't have that, you don't have anything. It was very difficult. Yeah, tons of work, especially in that case, because you said he didn't want to submit to the jurisdiction of the United States court. Problem is he had listed himself as the state representative on the chapter 15 petition. That was a big mistake. Um, but you know, this is what lawyers do. This is what we do. Um, you can either use your law license to represent large corporations and deal with their transactions or defend them when they're, they're sued for doing, you know, unsavory things, or you can represent people who are harmed by the unsavory activity and try to get the, 
you know, some justice. And so that's what we're blessed with. That's what our system is. Oftentimes it's difficult, but it's still set up to do. Um, and we're lucky to do it. At least I've always felt that way. Let me tell you why you are making your yearly appearance. Nobody has set that record because when I called you the other day, because I want to talk about the January 6th hearing with somebody who's following it the way I am, rabid, rooting, loving it, hoping for more. Every show, we hope for the knockout punch every round. I said, what What do you want to talk about? You said, anything. Dan Kaplitz, who used to be my radio partner when I invited him on, he said, we're not going to talk about Kyle Clark, right? When I invited Kyle Clark on, he said, I'll talk about anything. I like the anything guys, okay? And you are one of those anything guys, and you're also proud to be a progressive. And I'm never labeled... I'm not a progressive. I don't think I am. Some views I have, but I'd say I'm independent. And you can label yourself whatever. But I will tell you this, that in Greenwood Village, I'm on East Progress Place. 7350 is Progress Place. So that's progress right there. So the bottom line, what I'm getting to further about you is even though your name is Woodrow, you are a proud member of the tribe. You're a proud Jew. And you lay it all out there on Twitter every day. And uh, I like that. And your family, man, you got two kids. If you want to know details about this guy's amazing upbringing, go back to episode 37 or episode 60, Apple Podcasts. He was great. I'll sum it up that he's not a Silver Spoon kid. He grew up in Detroit area public schools. His dad died when he was an infant. Stellar mom who raised great kids, got his law degree. He worked in Chicago as a big shot lawyer, made the wise move to come to Colorado, kind of like Golda Meir, because she had family that was friendly here. He came to visit. You said, this is a good spot. Now he's married, raising two boys. Am I right? Just like Trish and I did. Did I sum it up pretty well? Uh, I mean, you're very flattering. I would never put me and Golda Meir in the same breath. Um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, making the right decisions on life. But, you know, I, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, my Golda, I mean. Did you know that's really why she came to Denver from Milwaukee? That's almost like where you came from. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that, that is the story I've heard as well. Um, she's legendary in terms of, in terms of my upbringing, I, you know, we weren't destitute. We were lucky. We had, you know, uh, the government safety net. Um, I won't say that my mom's uh, second husband was a nice guy, so that, that kind of stunk. But, you know, you go through tough times early in life uh, because, you know, it, it just happens. And then it's supposed to build character. And the more you go through, uh, hopefully the more character you have. It's just um, like I, I, I like just to told you, you, you are different, though, because me – my dad was a successful Denver lawyer, and I was blessed to have that. I went to Denver Public School, so it's not like we were super rich, but it, you were missing a, a dad through a health problem. That's devastating. Were you able to have a bar mitzvah? Oh, sure. I uh, I had a bar mitzvah. Um, I had a service, actually, at the wall uh, in Israel. Um, it was amazing. Uh, I, I sort of, you know, believe it or not, I know I'm I'm so stunningly and ruggedly handsome, um, but believe it or not, you know, back when I was 13 years old, I was quite the chubby, 
uh, geeky, awkward little Jewish kid uh, who excelled at Hebrew school. I was really good at it. And so I had kind of devoured my, my bar mitzvah was set for September because I was a summer baby. And I ended up having, um, you know, my Torah portion on lockdown really early. And so they kept feeding me more. And I ended up really, you know, realizing that if I, I the more I, I took in and, and was able to do, the more they were going to keep giving me. So I kind of stopped. <laughs> so when you say you excelled at, when you say you excelled at Hebrew school, was it in the Bible stories or was it in the Hebrew reading or both? I mean, you know, for your bar mitzvah, they give you uh, different prayers to read and right. Torah portions and the Haftorah and the Maftir and the, you know, there's like a standard sort of base level of what most kids do. I did the full service with, with my partner. She was amazing. I did my full service. Um, and then on top of that, I did another full service earlier in the summer uh, at the wall in Jerusalem and then another Torah portion on top of Masada. So, you know, I had all these different Torah portions to learn. Um, you know, and I, I spent my, I guess, you know, looking back, I spent a lot of my, you know, age 12 uh, memorizing Hebrew and memorizing Torah portions. Right, but that's the Not key the age. Time. That's the key age to learn how to speak a language. I kind of stopped right there and probably at a, like a first grade level for Hebrew, maybe not even that. What about you? Have you gotten better since your bar mitzvah? Have you learned Hebrew? Can you lead a service? Can you read without bells? No, I mean, I, I can go to a service and I'm, you know, we're proud members of uh, Rodaf Shalom and we love uh, Rachel Coburn, the rabbi over there, and everyone's terrific. Um, and I can follow that service. I wouldn't lead the service. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the language, no, I, I stopped as well, sort of around that time. Uh, my wife has recently picked up Hebrew um, through Duolingo. Um, she's done Spanish in the past, um, as well as Czech. So, you know, learning new languages is something that I really admire about her. Um, but, you know, it's actually something funny enough we were talking about earlier this week. I sort of you know, said, hey, maybe, you know, I'll take a Hebrew class with you. And what did she say? Sure. I, I would imagine saying. you'd start tweeting in Hebrew. I mean, how many hours a day do you spend tweeting? And I like it. I'm not ripping you. And sometimes I can't stop doing it. But yours are always pithy, and you've got a huge following, including me. How do you do it? Why do you do it? Thanks. Um, it's a... <laughs> Too much is the answer. Um, I think social media is actually, you know, pretty toxic and really bad. Um, but look, you know, Craig, we're going to, whether we like it or not, you know, ho hopefully, I, do you have children? I forgot. Yeah, two. I have two boys, 23 yeah. and 19, right, I hope Ben and Sam. Right. You know, I hope it doesn't happen, you know, in, in the next year or so, but in the, in this, in the not too distant future, I hope, you know, you find yourself with some grandkids. And I want grandkids, and I want them to have kids and grandkids. And they're going to look back, and they're going to ask with a discerning eye, what did we do? You know, what did we do to protect uh, the climate? What did we do on gun violence? What did we do on systemic racism? Were we part of the problem? Or are they going to be able to say, you know, my grandparents, no. No, they railed against it. They saw Trump for the bullshit con artist that he was, and they warned everyone yeah. about it, and they did it daily, and they right. did it often. And, and they, they weren't quiet about it. They weren't complacent. Right. What are your boys' names? Uh, they, <laughs> um, we'll call them B and A. Okay, and that's fine. Uh, How old? 
Uh, they are 11 and 7. Okay. Or 11 and 8. Sorry. Yeah, spaced out just percent. like my kids. So we're, I'm just a little yeah. bit ahead of you. That's why I feel like um, we can talk about these things. And what I do is I do this podcast so I can amplify, amplify really smart guys like you. And I think you've thought about this a lot. I do think you might be a future leader of our state and our nation. I'm glad you were involved. You're in the middle of it. And I just want to talk about it because I'd say the most, my wheelhouse is in the Colorado state courts and the criminal justice system where I was a prosecutor. And I had to make big decisions with the stroke of a pen as to who was going to be charged with what. And I took that very seriously, and now as a private attorney, I have the power to sue people. So do you. We take that seriously. I think the evidence is there. I'm hoping Merrick Garland has been waiting crazy like a fox, and we're going to get there. But I don't want to bury the lead because you are so smart, Steve Woodrow, because Colorado is at the heart of it. Let's talk about your race first. Isn't it over already with you? as the Dem nominee? Well, I would never take uh, my, my voters for granted. I, I'm in a heavily uh, de-leaning district. I did win the primary. I didn't have a challenger there uh, because I was an incumbent uh, coming in from House District 6 into the redrawn House District 2. Um, I do have an opponent in the general election. The only things I know about her I've read, uh, I believe in, I believe it's referring to her, uh, in deposition transcript testimony from the Dominion lawsuit. Uh, she might be, according to this deposition testimony, the only uh, employee uh, or, or registered employee or agent of um, FEC United. Uh, you know that group here oh in Colorado. God, I've been covering it uh, like crazy. Yes, Joe right. Oldman, so, Christy Burton Brown, right. they meet at Bandemir, Randy Corcoran's involved, Dominion's getting sued, as they should be by everybody, especially Eric Coomer, who has a case in Denver District Court where Dominion just, or I mean, uh, Eric Coomer just won some really big motions. Yes, I'm following that case, absolutely. Keep going. Yes, so... So that's that's my opponent. Her name, I think it's Stephanie Wheeler. Um, you know, I, I'm not too concerned about my race. What I am concerned about, it touches upon what you were just saying um, with, you know, criminal justice. I'm, I'm worried about keeping the state house and the state senate. That's super important. And it's also important to keep, you know, the AG, the secretary of state and the treasurer. But, you know, I think we're good on the state house. We gotta, you know, work really hard. We gotta do the grassroots work, you know, the canvassing, the lit drops, the postcard writing, the texting, phone banking, all that stuff beats commercials and, and, and the mailers all the time. Okay. The real gritted out, roll up your sleeves, grassroots activism, that's what wins races. And so if we do that, we're gonna be okay in the state house. I am worried about the state senate. There are several key races that we've identified that we have to win. All right, yeah, tell me, incentivize, incentivize me and my audience, because I like to think I have an independent yeah. crew. And I, okay. got, I got a little energized when you said Stephanie Wheeler is part of FEC. I know what that means. It means mega, mega, ultra, mega. Are there some state Senate races where 
ultra MAGA is going against a Democrat, and it's close, and you would encourage people to help? Well, you know, without going, you know, through every every opponent, you know, talking about the key races, the senators that we have to get elected, you know, you have to get Rep. Kyle Mullica, who's a nurse, a registered nurse. He's the only nurse uh, pra- you know, who's practicing, who's also serving in the legislature. we got to get him from the House to the Senate. Uh, Rep. Tony Exum Sr. is trying to go from the House to the Senate, key race down in, I believe, southeast Colorado Springs. He's got Rep. Tom Sullivan. Uh, there is no greater fighter for gun violence prevention in this state than Tom Sullivan, uh, who's running for the Senate. This and time who's around. running against uh, Tom? He's been a guest on this show. I want to back him. That's close to home. Who is who is his opponent, if you know? Uh, I don't know. And okay. if I did, I would never tell you. Right. No, but it would be, it would be close. It, it'll be close in Centennial, right? That's just a competitive district. It's a competitive district. The independent redistricting commission was a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. I think Democrats, you know, need to understand that uh, we're playing checkers. We're not playing checkers here, folks. This is chess. They would never have done the same for us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, handing things over Mm -hmm. to an independent redistricting commission really wasn't the right idea. So now we have far more competitive races than probably the state is um, in terms of its demographics. But that's okay. We don't mind going to voters. We don't mind making our case. We've done a lot of good. Um, let me tell you why majorities are so important, Greg. Okay, let's let's take a look at what we've done the past few sessions with majorities. We passed eight gun violence prevention bills. That includes safe storage, reporting lost and stolen, establishing the Office of Gun Violence Prevention, removing state-level preemption, um, expanding background checks to include violent misdemeanors. Uh, you know, all, all you know, this raft of gun violence prevention. Isabella Thales, Isabella Thales, stolen firearm mandatory reporting act named after Isabella Thales for the terrible murder of her in downtown Denver, June 10, 2020. That trial's coming up in September. I represent her boyfriend, Darian Simon. So, yeah, we took note of that statute and all its extenuating circumstances, which will come out at the trial. Um, but keep going. But my point is, none of those happen without Democrats controlling both right. chambers and having the governor's office. And nothing more will happen if we don't hold the Senate. Any gun bill that gets passed will be coming out of the House, and it will die in early death in a GOP-held Senate. So if you care, if you're a listener and you living in Colorado and you care about gun violence prevention, vote Democrat for Senate. Start looking at Senate races. Get reach out to people who you know are connected and and involved in this stuff and say, which are the Senate races I need to get involved in? Mm-hmm. I want more gun violence prevention measures passed in Colorado. Now, the big one, obviously, is abortion access, yes. right, and reproductive health care rights. Yes. What Roe really means when it says we're kicking it down to the states is that abortion is now on the ballot in every state house and every state Senate race, right? You know, regardless and of every, however your what, candidate what you feels. Say, what don't you say in every prosecutor's race, too? Kellner versus Weiser. And also every DA's race, because who's going to prosecute these crimes? Yes. Tremendously. We would, you know, it starts with what the law is, right? And to keep the what we just did, because we have majorities in Colorado, because the voters did their work in 2016 and 2018 and 2020 and elected Democrats, uh, we were able to pass uh, REA, the Reproductive Health Equity uh, Access Act, and that's 
the Reproductive Health Equity Act, and that's incredible. That says, as a statute, as a law in Colorado, we've codified that reproductive health care decisions are between doctors and patients, right? We are an island, an oasis now, where we always have been, but now more than ever, where folks come from out of state uh, to get reproductive health care access and abortion care. And we need need to make sure it stays that way. If we uh, go and elect ourselves a Republican Senate, there's nothing else we're going to be able to do not to protect providers, not to protect people who come here, not to protect the people who assist them in coming here, you know, to the extent that there are other things that we could look at and do. Uh, whether, you know, uh, public financing of reproductive health, you know, access. All of that comes yeah. to a standstill if we don't hold the state right. Senate. So we have to win. So we have to win for abortion access. We have to win for gun control. We have to win uh, for the environment. The Republican Party, some of them are very nice, and you can go and you can hang out with them, but they are not environmentalists. They do not care uh, what happens to our air and our soil and our water. And or, if you see, it, to be if you see the brown cloud outside, yeah. it's gross. And, and you know what? Here's but, the thing. I, I want to get to J6, and the truth is you are so smart about all this stuff. That's why I recommend uh, episode 37, episode 60, because one was abortion madness and the other was about guns. And I want to get your opinion about what happens after the Dems retain the state house. You're a big shot Denver politician. Once you're reelected by acclamation, are you going to get in this Denver mayor's race? Oh, goodness, no. First, you know, I appreciate what all, all that you say about uh, politics and, and the future and whatnot. I got to be honest, and I'm not just saying this, and it's, it's going to sound hokey. I am focused on passing uh, legislation now for HD2, right? And what do our voters want here in Denver? What they want, they want better schools, they want higher teacher pay, they want... Oh, okay, uh, if you aren't running, if you aren't control. running, who, who do you back? Do you have favorites? Because I'm just wondering who's going to lead Denver. I see it in some tough, struggling times. You're in the know. You're raising a family in Denver. Here I am just outside of Denver. I am not keeping up the way you are. Who do you see on the horizon to be Denver mayor? Alec Garnett? I hope he would do it. He's smart. It would be easier to start listing the names of people who aren't running. Just give Um, me some people you you think could be a good mayor. Um, I think I think everyone that I've heard in terms of running uh, could be a good mayor. Um, everyone has has things that they bring to the table. I don't know if you've you've heard the latest list, um, but you know, I mean, they're, they're Googleable. Everyone brings brings something different. I look forward to them having a you know a robust debate, an exchange of ideas. I think Denver is an exciting city, uh, but it has problems. I want to hear who's going to talk the most about housing, um, about fixing you know, sort of our, our homelessness crisis. I love the fact that, you know, the city council has been very dedicated in terms of allocating resources to it. I want to see the strategy. I want to see the plan and let's see results. Um, but, you know, opining on who's going to win that thing. All right. Oof. Okay, tell me I'd, this. I'd rather, I'd rather talk about Donald Trump. All right, talk about downtown Denver. One, I'm writing a column on it for the Colorado Sun. One of my favorite songs is Downtown by Petula Clark. I worked down there for over four decades. I'm nostalgic. I rode my bike down there yesterday, took the light rail back, had a heck of a time, saw some things downtown. 
I'd never seen before. We Water Street, my God, the new restaurants, hotels, but other parts are hurting with homelessness. I don't know. What do you think, Steve Woodrow, Denver resident? Yeah, I think homelessness is a huge problem in every in every metro area right now, uh, and we have to tackle it. That's what my focus was this past session at the State House. Um, you know, uh, the, the Democratic Caucus prioritized over five hundred million dollars for affordable housing. Um, I ran a bill, one hundred five million dollars in grants. This is all coming from the federal dollars that they told us to spend. By the way, uh, one hundred five million dollars in grant money. Uh, to communities and nonprofits specifically to address homelessness. Um, so you know, why isn't have, that working uh, with all that money? Well, the money hasn't gotten out the door. The grant programs have been established. People are applying for them, and it's coming out the door. But, you know, we have not kept pace in Colorado with building and expanding our capacity um, like we needed to based on the influx of people who were coming in. And it's not just homelessness. Homelessness is a huge problem, obviously. Come on. I mean, it's, it's horrific. And, and, you know, we're doing everything we can to address that, including mental health wraparound, uh, mental health and behavioral services, um, in addition to affordable housing. But, you know, when we talk about this problem, it's, it's such a broad spectrum. We're talking to, you know, about people who make up to 140% AMI, average uh, area median income, you know, you make what's considered a decent living, you know, relative to the people around you, but you still can't afford housing, right? It's super expensive. We also have uh, these third-party investment uh, groups, uh, private equity and hedge funds that have been gobbling up single-family homes. We have to do more to preserve our existing stock of affordable housing and to expand. And that means we have to reduce barriers to entry. We have to incentivize. We have to you know, make it easier for folks if they're looking for that gap financing, if they need a loan in order to, you know, get them past a, a stage of the development process, if they need seed money to just, you know, start getting off the floor, if they need resources mm-hmm. to connect them to the resources. Right, right, That's what right. all this money is for. And it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily enough, uh, but it's a start and we are pushing like crazy for it. There's actually a ballot initiative. This is another reason everyone has to vote and not just vote, but vote the entire ballot all the way down. These ballot initiatives are super important. Uh, I believe there's one uh, that talks about you know permanent uh, creating a permanent source for affordable housing. I think it's 109. I'd have to go get the, look That's back all at the right. numbers. You don't need to be a blue book for us. But, but speaking of barriers to entry, when I rode my bike down 16th, I think downtown starts about Grant Street. The capital is home base. And I went down to my old skyscraper building, 1600 Broadway, the one I departed, because my law firm decided to represent Tina Peters. That's a bridge too far for me. And it's the push I needed. But I also saw the homeless people all the way down 16th. And it was sad and terrible And when I was a little kid growing up in Denver, even before I was 10, I rode my bike to downtown Denver, and I'd ride it to Stapleton all around. Would you let your kids ride around downtown now? Do they? Uh, No, not without me. And and that's that's obviously an issue. I mean, we do have an issue with um, uh, addicts and and homeless, and, you know, bills were passed uh, to address that. Um, I don't 
you know, necessarily think we took the right approach when it comes to fentanyl. Um, I think we need to look at the data and ask, you know, what does it say works? And what works is reduced stigmatization. Uh, what works is compassionate care. What works is the ability to have sort of a 24-7 ability for an addict to go get uh, anonymous care and go get care where they are not stigmatized, where they don't have uh, barriers to entry, um, and we can get them off the streets. The, the approach we did take, and there was a lot of misinformation about this, is we felonized um, the possession of one gram of any uh, narcotics, so long as there's a detectable trace amount of fentanyl found on it when they test. Um, to me, you know, look, you're a former prosecutor. I can only imagine what, you know, that's a ton of discretion being put in your hands um, as to what to charge. You know, when you get someone, we're talking about possession, we're not talking about distribution. If, I think the, the logic behind it, by the way, was, look, you know, we're talking about um, a gram, and a gram is usually, when you're talking about fentanyl, you're talking about 10 pills of fentanyl. And so when someone has 10 pills, you can make, you know, sort of the, the, the judgment as to what they were doing with them, although I'm sure addicts carry more than 10 pills. Right, but it can be but like 10, 10 bullets. And, and in full right. disclosure, I'm in the, the newspaper this week representing the mother of the, the late Max Osterman, and we believe we know who supplied the fentanyl, and he did it professionally for a long time. We believe there are others who've been damaged, and there are all sides of this issue. And God bless you for working on it because our future is at stake and it's a scourge, but I want to get your smart legal brain because you're in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge about the Supreme Court. I'm so upset about this. That's going to last for decades. Clancy Thomas, Sam Alito, in charge. Did you ever think you would live to see this terrible day? Yeah, I did because uh, the people who were planning it were screaming that they were doing it for four straight decades. I know. And there was a group of us, and I imagine that at some point you were including, I would include you in these people who were screaming, uh, uh, the, tr the plane's about to smash into the side of the mountain. What are you doing? Um, and we were called hysterical. We were ridiculed and we were derided. Uh, the Denver Post uh, supported uh, Justice Gorsuch's nomination. Um, you know, like they supported Cory Gardner before him. Um, and then, you know, they act surprised in the aftermath. No, we told you this was going to happen. Right. You should have um, told, told Ruth Bader Ginsburg, God rest her soul, but for crying God out loud. God rest her soul, but you're right. Yes, I, at least I had Stephen Breyer stepped down. I think down. President Obama had that issue. Mm -hmm. But I think President Obama had that issue. I think he tried, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the nicest terms mm -hmm. possible. But all the time that we spent watching her do workout videos, you know, God, God rest her soul, and she was a brilliant jurist. Um, that's that's a devastating loss for for anyone who can get pregnant. Um, you know, having Roe repealed, just having that precedent uh, so vital undermined. And I mean, it literally undermines every single law that we have. You know, there is nothing that you could put past this Supreme Court because they literally sat under oath and said they wouldn't do this, and then went and did it. Right. Knowing full well that they were going to do it. And so, you know, hats off to the people who said this was a bad idea. Um, but history keeps repeating itself. The, the right says we're going to do, you know, something awful. 
the left and Democrats say, stop it. That's awful. Uh, we're told that we're hysterical and that we need to calm down. And then the awful thing happens. We said the Iraq war was going to be a mess and terrible. Uh, we were called hysterical and derided by, you know, the New York Times. And it ended up, you know, 20 years of war. Uh, and when a Democratic president finally ends up pulling us out, the other side has the gall and the audacity, you know, to deride him for 13 deaths, which is tragic. But, you know, where were they on the you know, thousands, thousands of deaths before then? You know, not a peep. Um, so, you know, we've seen it time and again. We're going to see it on climate change. Um, you know, there will be a day when. Right. But let's, be, let's, let's not pass by the Supreme Court because I'm feeling bad. Uh, and everybody but, the is, but what's, what's the solution? Do we need to expand the court or legislate our way out of it? And the people try to impeach Clarence Thomas for his role with his wife in January 6th. How do we get out of this mess, Steve Woodrow? Oh, I think uh, we need more justices. Um, there's a couple ways to go about that. We either need more justices or we need uh, to make it look like we could get more justices. Um, but the, the long and the short of it, of it, Craig, is that we have two options. Um, Republicans, because of the way the system is set up, the Senate being very anti-democratic, two senators, no matter how small your state is. From Wyoming, from Wyoming, um, for God's sake. And, uh, anyway, keep going. North Dakota, South Dakota. North Dakota, South Four. Dakota, Wyoming, Montana. I, great states. Those are, five, those are 10 U.S. senators, right, mm -hmm. uh, for, for those five states. They have a smaller population combined than Los Angeles, you know, so it's a very anti-democratic system. It's a relic of slavery. Um, that's the reason right. uh, it was put in there in the place. Uh, we had the Civil War. We got rid of slavery, but we kept the system. And so really bad ideas happen. But it's it's where, you know, where the holdups are. We have to rejoice uh, when Senator Manchin decides to finally, you know, reach a deal. Uh, and that's a real problem. Most folks don't know this, but FDR, after his first year in office, had 60 U.S. senators who were Democrat. By the end of his first term, uh, I'm pretty sure he had 70 U.S. senators. Uh, that's, you know, and, and that was only out of 96 because he didn't have, you know, 50 states. They only had 48 states then. So to get that today, we would need 73 United States senators. Imagine what we could do with that. Imagine how easily we could get legislation passed that's progressive and bold and good for the American people. Of course, we would have universal health care with 73 senators. Of course, we would have uh, an assault weapons ban. Of course, we would have, you know, robust climate change uh, legislation passed and, and all the rest of it. Um, it really depends on how big your majorities are. That's how it works. You know, I serve in, this, in the Colorado State House. There's not a moment that I'm down there, Craig, trying to advance my progressive values and my progressive bills, where I say to myself, gosh, this would be a lot easier if you took away some Democrats and replaced them with Republicans. Oh, my goodness. It's just the opposite. What I think to myself is, damn, one or two more Democrats, and I would have gotten another provision in this bill that right. would have made it even better for people. One or two more Democrats, three more Democrats. Oh, my goodness, what I would have gotten in this bill if I had had three more Democrats, because that means I could have worked around so-and-so and gotten this provision in, and it would have been so sweet for people, but they couldn't vote for it, so we didn't have it this time around. There's not a progressive agenda item that you can name that doesn't do better the more Democrats that are elected, and that doesn't do worse the fewer that are around. 
I wish it wasn't so partisan. I wish that folks across the aisle were, you know, willing to be like, you know what, guns are just a scourge, and we got to get rid of these assault weapons, or we got to figure out a plan about this. We can't just have un, you know, filtered, uh, you know, sales, millions of guns pouring into the country every year. But we don't have that right now, and until we do, we've got to out-organize these folks. We've got to make our case to people, and because of the way the system's set up, yeah, we have to have uh, landslide elections basically every time. Our other, our other alternative, right, and there is one out there, um, is to pack up, pack up, and move to those states. Let's let's get wow. Soros to open up that checkbook. I've never gotten wow. money from them, but my goodness. Start paying, start paying for progressives to go to North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, uh, I'll Wyoming go to Montana, South Dakota. Idaho. South Dakota is one of right. my favorites. We, my son lives in Montana, but South Dakota, I had my best college basketball game against South Dakota Tech. Rapid City's beautiful. There you go. So you're saying yeah, re- progressives okay. should retire in these states and vote there? In about 15 years, maybe I is making everything hot. We move north. We move north. But, you know, it'd be great if we could get some, you know, wealthy Democrats to start opening uh, centers and and, um, industrial plants. I don't think this is going to happen. You know what's going to happen, Steve? Aren't aren't a lot of people from these surrounding states going to move to Denver and Colorado for the freedoms it affords their daughters? And you talked about anybody who can be impregnated. How about the impregnators as well? I worry about my boys, and people are second-guessing sending their kids to college in Florida or Texas. We have a bifurcated America now, and Colorado is sort of surrounded. Aren't we going to grow like crazy? Don't you anticipate that? Yeah, we've already been going like growing like crazy. I don't anticipate that stopping. The only thing that could slow us down in that respect, I think, would be water. Um and I agree with you. I said it was an option. I don't. I, I sort of did it tongue in cheek. Right. I don't think that any of us are doing a mass migration. Although I do like um, Rapid City. But that's but, but that but that's the thing. So it's short of that. How do we reform the system? I think with fifty-two Democrats in the United States Senate, uh, that's enough to okay. you know, have doubled. Not, not, uh, right. But how is that going to happen? I have a scenario because I've lived a long time. I remember the reaction to Watergate. You weren't even born then, and then. When Jimmy Carter had inflation through the roof, whoever thought that was going to happen again, kind of here now, there was a big reaction with Ronald Reagan denying Carter another term. Trump, we've seen a reaction to him in 2018 and in 2020 when Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, who isn't the greatest president, still got that many more votes because people don't want Donald Trump And I think we need him to announce. I think Merrick Garland has to go to work. And this guy needs to have his pants pulled down and his little schmuckle revealed. And everybody say, we don't want anybody who was ever associated with this guy. Just like Representative Cheney said, dishonor is with you. And that's sticking to you, GOP, like, you know, poop on a, a dirty sow. So what do you think about that? Is it possible that Donald Trump suffers the knockout blow and brings down the whole Republican Party around him? Well, you know, gosh, I hope so. Attorney General Garland has to prosecute. 
Um, or be a what? Miscarriage of justice or what? Anyone, anyone who is, or what? Yeah. Or we see, we've seen this show before in history when a wannabe tyrant uh, almost uh, is victorious, uh, is stopped, um, but not taken too seriously, sits by the wayside for a few years and comes back, and the result is absolute awfulness. Um, no, we're not going to be repeating that. We need to hold them accountable. Time out. You say we have to, but what gives you, are you confident? What's your level of confidence that Merrick Garland will pull the trigger? Um, I'm, I'm in the 80%. But look, I'm already frustrated. Look, I am frustrated like everyone else that it hasn't happened already, that it didn't happen long ago. I'm frustrated every time I hear a talking head get on television or Nate Silver opine. You know, it could be really divisive to, uh, to prosecute Donald Trump. You know, and Merrick Garland has to consider that. That is akin to saying prosecuting a child molester could be divisive to the family. Uh, this is someone who perverted our democracy, told 30,000 lies, um, you know, literally or, you know, encouraged the, the sacking of the United States Capitol, was okay with the hanging of the vice president of the United States, um, tried to steal an election because he knows that being in office and staying in office is the only way he can avoid prosecution. Um you know, we need to hold them accountable. That's what we should be unifying and rallying around is the rule of law and the idea that no one's above the law, no one person, uh, especially the president. We did not uh, choose to have a king when when we decided to break away from, from England. We decided to have a president who was accountable to the people and the law. And so if we don't do it, it's going to be a miscarriage of justice. It will be, it'll be horrific. Could you imagine if we didn't impeach him? Right. Um, well, we did was, impeach him, but he, he, was, he was not removed in, in, because but they didn't get the, the requisite two-thirds, right? It was all political. Right, right. But hold on. You recall at the time with the first impeachment, there were voices out there saying, oh, don't impeach him. It could be divisive. Don't impeach him. It'll make the Republicans mad. Don't impeach him. It'll upset people in rural, rural parts of America that we just don't need to upset right now. And the rest of us said, no, this man is on the phone shaking down the prime minister of the Ukraine. Right? What are you talking about? He's, so finally... I, you, you don't know, have to remind me about that. any of this, because I said impeach and remove his ass because of the Ukrainian shakedown of Zelensky, and they removed me from Denver Trump Radio, which is fine, because I yeah, like this ridiculous. podcast better, so... Yes, I understood the dangers of this guy, and that. But but I'm a trial lawyer, and I'm a prosecutor, and I understood the criminality of what he did and the consequences. And if you let him get away with it, he's going to do worse. And darned if he didn't. And of course, he should have been removed at the second trial. But now, it's in the hands of. Merrick Garland, the Department of Justice. Nobody's above the law. And I see a slam dunk case of obstructing Congress. He clearly wanted to obstruct that ceremonial act. He did it. His absence uh, of action really makes it clear what his intentions were. So I think it's a slam dunk case. And then I would pepper on seditious conspiracy. Because once I decided a guy was a bad guy, a violent criminal, 
any charge that I thought there was probable cause, I'm going to bring it along. And there are a bunch of charges. You you come up with causes of action to uh, engage in grand lawsuits. This is just another one. Don't you think this is a slam dunk case? His crimes are numerous and they're very clear. We all saw them happen. We saw them happen live. We saw him lie about the election. We saw him try to steal it. We saw him, um, you know, uh, you know, do do numerous things. And now we've heard witness testimony about what he was up to. So, yes, to me and you, this is a slam dunk case. I, from a prosecution standpoint, would probably follow something more along the lines of keeping it simple rather than bringing a really lengthy long drawn out indictment with you know 97 odd counts or whatever i'd keep the the claim sort of focused uh so anyone could explain them to their relative if they had to you know bob it's you know so would you, you just go all right so maybe you're right let's discuss this like we would in a prosecutor's office and i would say it was about 1983 84 Bill Ritter, Chuck Lepley, and I sat the third floor of the Denver Police Building, and detectives come in. They'd plop their case down, usually light up a cigarette, and start telling you what they had, an armed robbery, a murder, whatever. And you talk about it after they left. What do you think we should do? And I, you're kind of talking me into it. Keep it simple, stupid. Isn't that the best charge, obstructing uh, a congressional act? You're a legislator. The elements have to be easy to prove, and it carries up to, I don't know, 10 or 20. Who knows that he'll ever go to prison? The key is to prove what he did in a court of law, and a jury says guilty. Isn't that what could break this fever in America? Isn't that what has to? Um, we, have to we have to prosecute him for his crimes. That's the most important thing. But he would and need yes, to be convicted, I, right? Yeah. It, it would be terrible if it was a hung jury or something less. And I think that's probably the prosecutor's fear. But that's what the that's what the Justice Department has to, you know, man up and, right. and you know, or woman up and or, or non-binary up and figure this out like real lawyers because you know going to trial is their job, what they're supposed to be very proficient and good at. Um, look. One of, the, one of the advantages that I think a lot of us overlook is um, there was this other guy who released this whole report. His name was Robert Mueller, Mueller, and he came out with this whole report detailing Trump's crimes, right, in terms of obstruction yes. adjustment. Yes. Okay? Those are laid out, right? We could charge him with all of that. You could probably find crimes to charge him uh, in Georgia. Yes. Right? We have him on the phone uh, telling the Georgia Secretary of State to find him votes. Okay, uh, I mean, it's going to be very hard for him to deny that that was his voice on the phone. Right? So you could probably charge him with crimes related to that. You've got the obstruction of Congress. And then you have this ongoing financial fraud uh, and investigation that's been coming out of, of, you know, various jurisdictions in New York and the Southern District. And, you know, they're going to have to proceed with that. But the idea that no one goes forward, the idea that he's never charged, the idea that we try to just sweep it under the rug because, oh, you know, we can't go after po- you know politicians. That's not what we do in America. That's plumb silly because he will come back, uh, and he'll come back stronger than ever. And I think what we need to really appreciate here is uh, he doesn't need to win more votes, right, in order to win the presidency. Um, our system, another relic of slavery, is so messed up 
that, you know, we have minority rule a lot of the time. Republicans have only won the popular vote once since 1988. Uh, and they like to, you know, say, like, well, the popular vote doesn't matter. It's a bunch of bullshit. When they did win it in 2004, they could not shut up about having a mandate to continue the Iraq war. Okay, so they understand what it means to have the people behind you. All right. And Democrats should appreciate that and understand that, that we have the people behind us. Um, but, you know, in this system, you don't need to get more votes to, to claim the presidency. Not so if, if it's uh, close, you have if the, screwed up, he's in. You have the people behind you until you start talking about non-binaries, which is a little too progressive for me, but maybe I'll get there someday. I don't want to offend anybody either, but I do want to offend Ken Buck. Remember when he did that questioning of Robert Mueller, who was kind of checked out but perked up when Buck said, so are you saying he can be prosecuted for this when he's done being president? And Mueller woke up and said, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And Buck kept going. That was a memorable exchange, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, that was the whole thing. It was, you know, why didn't Miller prosecute him himself? And he's like, well, it's not my job. It's not even my job to say whether he committed crimes. I'm just here to tell you what I found and to say what it might have been. But it's up to a prosecutor to actually go forward with it. And so, yeah, we have to do this. I don't understand why it's even a debate. It's one of those things where, you know, someone who's trying to avoid accountability you know, just just says it to get out of out of you know the bad thing that they did. Are you a Simpsons fan, Craig? Say that again. Are you a fan of the Simpsons? No, not not really. Of the Simpsons, okay. I, I'm not. I mean, I know okay, a little so you bit know about John it. Lovett, right? Who? Yeah, and you know John Lovett. John Lovett. Yes, the liar. Yes. Is that who you're? Well, John Lovett is the. John Lovett's the actor. Right, who used to play an over-the-top liar on Saturday Night Live. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's the ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. John Lovitz on on The Simpsons played a character named Artie Ziff, uh, who is a real scumbag sleazebag who takes Marge out on a date, and she takes her to prom and then tries getting fresh with her in the car. Right. Okay. And she, you know, stops him. She stops him, but, you know, he gets way too aggressive. And after the fact, he says, you know, Marge, I'd appreciate it if you didn't tell anyone about, you know, my wandering hands. Not for my sake, but I'm so respected it would damage the town to hear it. <laughs> right. And that's, that's sort of, you know, the, the sort of the ethos that, you know, the, the Trump Republicans and everyone else is sort of going like, it'll damage America to prosecute. Right. You know, we just have to sweep everything under the rug and move on. You're tense this week. Well, I think elections are about the future. Well, no shit. When you fucked up in the past, of course, you want to only focus on the future. But there needs to be accountability because otherwise it's just a joke. It's just two sets of justice. Two sisters of the judge. Right. Thing. And these you know, assholes keep George rising up. You brought to mind yeah. Judge Roy Moore. He probably said, because he was a local prosecutor, yeah. hey, if you report me, yeah. the girl who I picked up in the shopping mall, it wouldn't be good for the town or your family. And you brought up the Simpsons. And I, I, I watched Peter Boyles just to see how he has changed since he thought about getting sued by Eric Coomer as part of KNUS, pumping up the big lie, Randy Corcoran and all of that. But Boyles has turned on Corcoran 
And in his little snippet this last Monday, he referred to Corcoran as Ralph Lummers. Is that some kind of character on The Simpsons? Do you know who I'm talking about? As who, Ralph Wiggums? Ralph Wiggums. Yeah, Ralph Wiggums. Is that some pompous kind of idiot, or what is it? Not pompous. He's, he's, He's a simple child. Oh, he's a simpleton. Okay. Does he have a yeah, pompadour? Yeah. Ralph, Ralph, Ralph. <laughs> Sometimes he might wear one. Ralph Wiggums, my favorite line from Ralph Wiggums is, I eat all the purple berries. Tastes like burning. <laughs> See, there's all these you know, Simpson references that I don't get, but I I watch <laughs> yeah, a lot of sports. A little child. A little child eating berries and then grabbing his stomach on the ground, <laughs> writhing in pain. It's hilarious. Um, I, do, I do want to bring up media, but, but, though. Can I? Because to me, that's where the Democrats have lost ground. Why don't Democrats compete on the airwaves more? I mean, I do this podcast, and there are lots of great podcasts uh, talking about the very things that we're talking about. And I'm privileged to do it in Colorado and focus on great Colorado politicians like you. But why were the AM airwaves surrendered? And Aren't they supposed to be federally licensed to perform a community service? I mean, Dan Kaplis, who I kept in check, I won every argument against him for years. He pays for that show. And then when he's gone, he has Christy Byrne Brown fill in. That's just like a whole paid political shtick. You know what I mean? At least I have sponsors here paying me to do this show. So what's up with all that? Aren't these the public airwaves anymore? Yeah, I mean, we have a real problem. Um, with our ability to get our message out, we've never. You're fantastic, but you know, as a as a whole, we've never been that good um, in terms of our our presentation. You know, MSNBC has gotten better, uh, but we've we are not good on the air. We have not taken to the airwaves. In fact, right around the time we would have had the talent crop to go to the airwaves, podcasts came about, uh-huh. and so now you know, uh, most folks, you know, anyone with a high level of talent well, that we would actually put on the air has gone over to podcasts. And I'm sure you also remember uh, Al Franken's experiment. Sure. What was it? Air, Erica? Air America. Um, it, it was it just, okay. And Tom Hartman was pretty right, good, it but it's, 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 it's way far left. Good. Right. Right. And it, but it does, it, you know, it, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. I will say that we don't have the army of ditto heads, you know, that rush was able to right. sort of command. Um, and then sort of hook and, and spin off to all these other, you know, sort of whack jobs who right. want to be Rush acolytes. And then you run all the way into the Alex Jones weirdos. Oh, my God. Um, Alex Jones. But, Have you, you know, ever here, here, you asked me what I do with my time since you're wasting your life with The Simpsons and Twitter. But I do search podcasts because I think some are great. David Axelrod's interview with Jared Polis. Did you hear that? Almost as good as mine. I think I warmed up Jared Polis. He's great, and um, some of these back-and-forth shows, but there's one that just dogs Alex Jones. I think it's called Knowledge Bites, and they just pick apart the bullshit. But that Alex Jones is getting into our kids' heads, and what are we going to do about it? Well, there's a couple of things there. You know, I've got, you know, impressionable children who are coming of age and, you know, with the Internet now. Um, it's It's a real challenge. You know, what do you do when your 8-year-old turns to you and says, Hey, Daddy, will you tell me a little bit about the Illuminati? Right. (laughs) The the World Economic Forum. Who is this guy, Charles Schwab? I said, you mean Carl Schwab? Okay, I know 
where you're getting this from. But maybe they're right. Maybe Hickenlooper is part of the Illuminati. You know him a little better than me, is he? <laughs> um, not at all. Uh, it's it's actually much more boring than people think. You know, I think people embrace conspiracy theories to make themselves feel better. Right. Um, it, it's far more comforting, Craig. I think to a, to at least a, you know, if you look at the population on a bell curve, you know, to some segment on that curve, it's going to be more comforting to think, for example, that climate change is made up. Uh, then you know, then you know, we're destroying the planet through the energy that we're burning. Um, and that it's that we're running out of time to do something about it, that there could be severe food shortages and famines and climate refugees and water shortages. And guess what? I'm, uh, during my commercial breaks, I'll sell you something for all of that. Right. 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 Of course. And, you know, so it's just easier, I think, for the brains, or at least some brains, to be like, nah, it's a hoax. Or, you know, with respect to uh, Parkland, they called the kids crisis actors. Newtown, they oh. said it was a false flag operation. 9-11. Oh, my goodness. How scary is it to think that your uh, government can't protect you from some guys with box cutters? That's petrifying. Much, much easier for at least some small population of the human brains out there uh, to say to themselves, nope, nope, government was in on it. It's not that my government is inept. My government is super uh, competent, so much that they could pull this off and keep it a secret. Uh, but I just think that that gives comfort to folks. And so we've got to battle misinformation. We've got to battle uh, conspiracy theories. But people find them intoxicating. You know, I mean, people find, you know, sort of this right-wing nationalism uh, very appealing. They like the idea of, you know, nope, I'm an American. Let's build a wall and, you know, uh, everyone, everyone for themselves. I don't much and, like you know, nationalism, but this Christian nationalism seems especially not for me. My God, to have at least Marjorie Taylor Greene admits it. Lauren Boebert's right there saying we don't need a separation of church and state. The church should be telling the state what to do. This is scaring the crap out of me. Steve, Christian nationalism, how real is it? Um, it's very real and it's very scary. Uh, it's what they've been after the whole time. They've, you know, they've been called the American Taliban in the past and it's not uh, an inaccurate description in terms of what they want. They want to impose their religious views on the rest of us. Lauren Boebert didn't just say she doesn't want the separation of church and state. She said that Ilan Omar uh, violates the separation of church and state, you know, just by wearing... Uh, her religious, you know, clothing. Um, I mean, that's the kind of lunacy uh, that the other side sort of employs when they bring this this debate up. They want the church running things, um, and and when they when I say the church, it's, you know, their brand of, you know, usually evangelical Christianity. They're not including Mormons. They're not including a whole bunch of other folks uh, into their tent. Um, so yeah, it's very scary. We've, but like I said, we've seen this before. Uh, right-wing nationalists. It, yes, there is obviously a you know, heavy Christian component to this, um, especially when we start looking at uh, you know the abortion question. Um, this is what we're up against. And the good thing, like you just said, at least the the benefit of having Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert is they're not hiding it anymore. They're out there. They're saying no. There is no separation between church and state. And that gives us the opportunity to go to voters and say, when people tell you who they are, believe them. 
you know, and get out there and organize and vote these people out. Or this is who's going to be governing you. Was it Plato who said the the penalty for disinterest in politics is to be ruled by evil men? Well, evil women too. Okay. And they're making themselves known. And I think they're doing it because they know that there's a bunch of folks across the country who will mail them or email them, you know, go to act, you know, whatever they have, you know, the red sin or whatever the heck it is, red state Mm -hmm. and raise themselves some money off of it. They know it. They know with every, they know with every tweet, there's, you know, some person who, you know, switches over from the 700 club to check their Twitter feed and then, you know, wants to send in Lauren Bober some money because she just said that, you know, everyone should be ruled by the Bible. That's very scary. It's the antithesis of what America is all about. Um, but so much of what these folks do is anti-American because that's not what the America that they are fighting for is a very different America from the ones that we're fighting for. Right? We're fighting for an America where people have affordable health care, access to clean land, air, and water, where you can go to the supermarket and send your kids to school without worrying even for a second that they're going to get shot up. We're you know, fighting for an America uh, where people take care of each other, right? where, where we come together in times of crisis and actually do big things and tackle big problems and lead other countries in the way we do it. Um, but they don't see America right, that but, way. But, they right, see America. But, and we're talking about us and them, and I do it as bad as anybody, and I'm trying to think about common ground. And I was thrust into a position where I debated abortion probably more than anybody in a public sphere against Dan Kaplis. And yet when somebody has a faith that God made a baby from the moment of fertilization and it's a human being right then and there— Okay, that's their belief, and I'm respectful of religion to a point until they try to put it on me. And I always wondered if you thought it was a human being, then you're saying this is a murder of a little baby, and nobody likes that. It's like QAnon, protect the babies, they're coming for your babies. And people will react, and they will do all sorts of things, and I wonder, well, how far are you going to go with this belief? And now I see how far they will go. They will embrace fascism. Some of these people, and I don't know how you break through that kind of barrier. It's frightening to me because I fear fascism. I never did in my life until recently. Do you think we're on the precipice? Yeah, I think Trumpism is American fascism. And I think it's going to come back more aggressive and even more vicious if we don't prosecute them. Right. That's that's what I was alluding to earlier. I mean, we're talking about a... a admitted right-wing nationalist uh, who bashed um, leftists and socialists and communists um, and immigrants and minorities as his favorite pastime. Uh, just because he pays decent lip service to Jews doesn't mean uh, that he isn't dangerous, you know, in the sense that other strong men throughout history have been dangerous. Uh, he was willing to kill his own vice president yes. stay in office. And probably his family would have died too. Karen Pence would have probably been ripped limb to limb. Right. Nancy and that didn't did. matter to Donald Trump. Right. And that didn't matter to Donald Trump. And the thing is, the weird thing is, and this is how you know it's fascist, doesn't really matter as that much as it seems to Mike Pence either, now does it? Right. right? That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Yes. Right. Just craving politics. But I'd put him in the capitalist league, wouldn't you? That this guy gave him the three Supreme Court justices that he can go to St. Peter and say, 
this is why I did it, and he thinks it's okay, right? Hey, I mean, he's allowed to make the case however he wants and however he sees fit. Um, I think we all know he's going to have quite a tough sales job um, where he's going. But, you know, look, the the important thing is is that, you know, we have the ability to stop this guy, right? We just have to do it. We have to prosecute. We have to go out and make our case to the American people. We have to be tenacious about it. We can't let uh, the tone police derail us from getting our message out. And look, they're going to push back. They're going to call us liars. They're going to call us names. They're going to say that we're being hysterical. That's what they always do. Uh, they obfuscate. They're going to they're gonna cry about unity and say that we're being divisive, we're divisive, and, and that we need to do a better job of bringing everyone together. And what happened to that? But it's all for one end, and that's to escape liability or escape accountability. Right, right. But there's this attitude that the end justifies the means. I want to go to your native state of Michigan because, and it happened in Colorado too, it didn't work. And is it kosher for Democrats to spend big money to pump up these right-wing ultra-maga types in hope that that they can be the opponent, like in Maryland, and it's run over. Isn't it dangerous to elevate these guys? I could debate that back and forth. But in Michigan, I bet you've been following Pete Mayer, a Republican who had the balls to vote for Trump to be removed, right? Or to be impeached. Yeah, Pete, Pete Meyer. Pete Meyer. Pete Meyer, right. Pete um, Meyer. And, and yet the Democrats are good. pumping up his conservative ultra-mega opponent in hopes they have an easier time. Shouldn't that guy be off limits? Don't we have to give love to the Liz Cheney's of the world, the the Adam Kinzinger's? Um, love, no. I think we have to give an appropriate amount of respect for them doing what is is really when you think about it, sort of the the bare, the bare minimum of decency. Right. Uh, it just says something about where the GOP is as as a party today that you know just by telling the truth or at least, you know, not spreading lies, um, Kinzinger and, and, and Cheney have sort of emerged as modern-day heroes. I think that they're, you know, both still pretty bad on foreign affairs, on guns, on LGBTQ, on a number of issues. But look, you know, yeah, I'll give them credit. They're not going along with the big lie, but too many in their party are. Um, and, you know, I think it says something that, you know, the best two... Republicans we can name, right, and we just named them, uh, are, are great uh, because they've decided to side with Democrats. And, you know, generally speaking, the most frustrating Democrats, the two of them in the Senate, uh, we, we think of them that way because they too often side with Republicans. But we know who's on the side of right and wrong here. Right? We know who's serious about tackling our problems and who wants, you know, a Christo-fascist state. Right. It, it, it's right there flashing us in the face. The question is, can we get out our message out to voters? You're asking a really good question about elevating uh, fringe. Um, I don't personally like it. It's not, you know, something that I get to control. I have no, you know, sort of say over what happens with these types of dollars or, or the strategy behind it. Um, I will say that when you're in these state races, it's less dangerous than doing it on the federal level. When you do it on the federal level and try to pick your opponent, um, you're talking about someone, again, who doesn't need to get as many votes, right? Right. You, 
I mean, that's a real gamble. Like, we're going to pick Trump because we think we can beat him. It's like, yeah, but beating him isn't enough. You got to beat him in the right spot. <laughs> are you are you sure you can beat him in the right spots, uh, Madam Secretary? You know, and if you can't answer that question, you shouldn't be, you know, talking about, you know, beating him or being the only one who could beat him. And you certainly shouldn't be elevating his voice. But I think when we look back and when historians look back on uh, 2016, we're going to see that the media got played. They got played the whole time. They continue to get played by him. Um, thank goodness he's not on Twitter and doesn't have that megaphone anymore. Uh, if he were to get that back, we'd be in a whole heap of trouble um, because that's what he uses to control the narrative. That's what he uses to come out in the morning, say what he's supposed to say, and the rest of you know the next 48 hours, that's all anyone is talking about. Right? We so need yeah, to, we, you know, we need to see a Shakespearean collapse in America to get back to normal. What about you? HD two, does that mean you get to start over when it comes to term limits? Uh no, I don't get to start over. Um I I'm entering my fourth session down at the Capitol. I think um it only counts as my third session in terms of my term limit. So, you know, I, I'm eligible for nine total sessions. Um, because I came in on a vacancy. So this will be session number four. I'm super excited. I want to get back to, to, you know, doing the good work. In the meantime, though, I'm busting my behind to get senators elected. I know you are. Doing that work. But but until you you endorse a mayoral candidate, I'm going to assume that you are going to run after your landslide victory. I can. I, I'll put an end to that right now. I'm definitely not running for mayor. Um, you know, we're lucky here in Colorado. We are. We've got people who saw the dangers early and organized uh, to make to make sure that you know Trump wasn't going to have any friends here. Um, this goes back, you know, a long way. I I, I I paid attention when W was president. That guy told a lot of lies started 20 years of war, uh, largely based on lies. He surrounded himself with a bunch of scoundrels, remember their names, Rumsfeld, Rose, uh, uh, Cheney, uh, Rove, um, Wolfowitz. You know, those guys were absolute jackals. And then those same people who crashed the economy on their way out uh, couldn't have been more vicious to, to the country's first black president, uh, Barack Obama. And they spent eight years tearing him to pieces, uh, doing everything they could to get in his way to obstruct. Do you remember how many debates we had about debt ceiling uh, raises right. and shutdowns? You know, shutdowns. We're going to shut down everything. You know, every six months, another shutdown. Um, you know, the Republicans didn't give two licks about uh, bipartisanship. And then how did they respond to the election of the first black president? By electing, you know, the most spoiled, bigoted rat, you know, that they could find, you know, just a, just a rude, arrogant jerk. Um, we you, told them all that they were victims. Did you did you realize that they were that authoritarian? It, it surprised me. I, I hung out with a lot of these people, and I didn't think that they would go for this kind of behavior and anti-democratic moves, but they do. And and then they they try yep. to depend it on the other side with their name calling. It's it's just a, a bizarro world, and it's full of disinformation and transference. And a lot of really smart people are are leading it. And and I 
I, I'm just disappointed in America like I've never been before. Well, it's very scary. It's This is what fascism is. It's right-wing nationalism that employs, you know, bullying as its chief, you know, sort of tactic and getting right. its way. And that's what they are. They're bullies. They call. They threaten. They hint at violence. They commit actual violence. Right. We've seen this for time coming, right? And what used to happen is uh, more mainstream centrist Republicans would find a way to beat back these fringe candidates, right? The Pat, Pat Buchanan uh, could never sort of, you know, really gain a foothold, right? Um, uh, David well, Duke. Right. You know, and, 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 he, and the bizarre, was right. I'm, I come from Denver Talk Radio, listened to it, was a big part of it for a couple of decades. And Peter Boyles was kind of the canary in the coal mine, and he ripped Bush like you did. And I like that. That's kind of independent, independent voice that we need. But he also always loved Pat Buchanan and that bigoted form of authoritarianism. And he's smart enough to realize what bullshit the big lie is, plus he's self-protective. But just as he had the temerity to speak out on Denver radio against Trump toward the end, he got chased off the air by Trump enforcers, by Trump enforcers who keep guys like Kaplitz and Brockler in line. And I just feel sick that these guys would submit to that because they're smarter. They have to know. Well, I've talked to Brockler about it. Capitalists, you know, on abortion, whatever. It's just disappointing because they influence a lot of people. And if they stood up and said, you know what, I I don't like abortion, but this guy, he he he, he committed a bunch of crimes on January 6th. He needs to be prosecuted. How can they not say it? How can George Brockler claim to be the crime guy and not call out Donald Trump? You tell me. Because best I can tell, Brockler is, is one of the leaders of the Colorado Republican Party now. Don't you agree? Yes. Well, George Brockler couldn't figure out how to prosecute a police officer who was found drunk asleep in his own cruiser. He also praised the police work on the and the prosecutorial work on the Elijah McClain case in terms of not prosecuting. If George Brockler had been AG instead of Phil Weiser, there would have been no prosecution of the officers in the Elijah McClain case. So, you know, it's it's real selective. In and the other thing about Brockler, which I don't think is right, it's his MAGA type refusal to let the campaign go. I mean, he's been on the air riding Phil Weiser and Jared Polis just like he's at the, the Cheyenne Frontier days. Give the guy a chance. But they don't. Now he's got Kellner running, and he, he, he has designs on a power base out of Douglas County. And his willingness to go along with not calling Trump out when he's supposed to be Mr. Prosecutor, to me, it's disgusting. He's in a powerful position, yeah. and he's got to be smarter than that, don't you think? I think to him, he's making the smart call. What he's saying is, is Republican voters, the Republican base electorate—that's who comes out to vote in these things. That who comes—that's who you know gets you the money. You've got to play to them. And so, I'm not going to say anything that's going to offend them. I'm not going to say anything that offends Donald Trump. I'm not going to say anything that might you know draw their ire. I'm subservient to them. They control me. They're my master. 
right? I might think I'm playing them, but it's the exact other way around. Right, and it makes and and it makes for sh- it makes for shitty radio when you've sold your soul to the political company store. That's why I can criticize Boyles, but at least he was entertaining. When you put on Christy Burton Brown, I mean, my God, look who's leading the Republican Party. She was president of FEC and the head of the Personhood Initiative. She's as far right as anybody I've seen in Colorado. It's it's crazy oh, yeah. what's she's, happened to the GOP. Just another one of them. I mean, we've got look. There are some reasonable Republicans in this state, and then we have, you know, some insurrectionists. We've got some January sixth. We refuse to look at any evidence. Jenna Ellis from here, Joel Ullman. I mean, we. It is shocking the Colorado connections to the January sixth case. Um, we there's nothing for us to be proud of uh, in that respect. Um, you know, but we have people in this state, uh, who refuse to accept reality. Um, and when I say that I'm talking about a whole range of issues, you know, it's gun violence. They refuse to believe that guns cause gun violence. They refuse to believe in anthropomorphism, uh, climate change. They refuse to believe Donald Trump lost. This is mostly largely about their feelings. Their feelings are hurt. Um, they see America slipping away from them. You know, look, the America they grew up in, you know, yeah, you could be gay, but you couldn't be married. Right. And to them, it's, you know, you know, it was a moral victory for them, you know, to be able to look down on gay people and say, ha, you know, you're living in a moral lifestyle and you're not allowed to do this. And all of a sudden it happens. They're allowed to do it. All these people feel like America's slipping away. And, you know, you're going to you're going to tell me Trump's the problem and, and we're all the problem. No. I refuse to believe it. And so you just, we have this group. Bobby Kennedy said 20% of the people are against everything all the time. Well, 20% of the people is about the size of, mm-hmm. of the MAGA contingent. You right. Know, and that's what but, we're but, up but they need to be things. put down. My complaint about Denver Trump radio is there aren't, I mean, maybe Ross Kaminsky. I don't listen that much during the day. And I'm not sure KOA is in the same league as KHO and KNUS. But I can't see anybody willing to stand up to the Trump enforcers, really. And what about in the legislature? No. Is there anybody who's a Republican who you could say, there's a guy I can work with. There's a guy who could be a leader of the new Republican Party. Can you tell me who that is? Um, I'll say this about the, the folks that I work with in the state legislature. There are some uh, who you would never expect who I got along with brilliantly. Um you know, because we both had, you know, or, or had senses of humor. Um, there's some who are more moderate who could be leaders, but, you know, generally they're too afraid to speak up and break rank. Um, I can tell you that a lot of them are celebrating the fact that the out-and-out insurrectionist election deniers lost their primaries. Right. They're very excited on Hank's loss. They're very excited that uh, in all one, you know, they're very excited about, you know, the fact that they don't have to answer questions directly of, you know, did Joe Biden win? Right, so you won't name, it's just country. like the mayor's race, you won't name somebody because it would be the kiss of death or what? No, um, I'm happy to answer. Here's, here's something that I, I'm not sure many people know. Um, I got along really well with uh, Pat Neville. Um, he is about to the opposite end of the right uh, as I am on the left. Um, but when you actually sit down and talk with someone, 
uh, and find common ground. And you find common ground, it doesn't necessarily have to be on policy, Craig. It can be on, you know, just just the ability to sit back and laugh um, and sort of cope with the, the craziness of the world right. that way. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and share. I, and share. Yeah. I, I think we right? have to reach so out for common ground. Yeah. Anyway, you've given you, you, me so much. Not, yeah. Go ahead. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. On the whole, though, I'm not really interested in rehabilitating them as a party. And so I care less these days about unity uh, and more about out-organizing. Because, you know, where, where am I... Where are we going to meet right. Lauren Bobert halfway? Crowd? Are we going to give her half the country to to, to be Christendom? No, no, no. right. Although so she seems to have, she seems to have more. she seems to have half the state geographically. Have what? Bobert seems to have half the state geographically. It's kind of shocking that our fellow Coloradans love her that much over there on the other side of the continental divide, it's disconcerting to me. Well, I think, I think she knows what she's doing. She's telling people what they want to hear. She's telling right. them that it's nothing's their fault, that the problem in this country is there's a bunch of runaway liberals and socialists out there in Washington, D.C., spending money, uh, causing inflation, um, you know, not giving two licks. It's all Hunter Biden and Nancy Pelosi. Right. Um, and she's out there, you know, driving them nuts. Yes. Right. And, you know, and driving uh, me a little too nuts. Here's what you need. You need to feed those dogs. They want their dinner. I want my Shabbos it's my dinner. Neighbor. Oh, it's your neighbor. It's my neighbor. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. that's fascinating. That's a lawsuit. You're a litigator. You know what to do. See how crowded Denver He's is? He's a lawyer, too. He's a lawyer, too. Oh, classic Denver yeah. progressive lawyer situation, and they should discipline their dogs. But we got all your messages loud and clear. Steve Woodrow, I cannot thank you enough. You are outspoken. How does this end? Do you predict that Donald Trump getting prosecuted before we talk in episode in, in year four? I do, and if you remember what it was like uh, waiting for the George Floyd verdict to come out, uh, this is going to be, you know, probably a thousand times more nail-biting. I love it. I love a good trial. I love a good podcast guest. Thanks so much for doing uh, the show. Shabbat Shalom. Good luck to you and your family and your law practice. And come see me if you ever get out to Greenwood Village, okay? Will do. Uh, congratulations again, and thanks so much. Good job. Bye-bye. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs, and so if I were to pass away, then my 
parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig. 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. So there you have it. What a show. Thank you, Steve Woodrow, for all that time and your passion on fighting the fascist threat. This show is dedicated to that. So is my new law firm, Thanks to Craig Silverman Law for sponsoring the show, along with Michael Bailey, of course. Can't do any show without our troubadour Dave Gunders one-stop shop. That is the theme song for my new law firm. Dr. Nedra Downing, you are in my heart. So is your late son, Tom Holler. Thanks for giving me that interview on July 27. It's important. You are important as listeners. Gosh, I appreciate you. If you would tell a friend, if you would subscribe, if you would give me five stars, all that sort of thing, it would make me happy. I hope episode 107 made you happy. Until next week, thank you. Have a great one. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.